it's Mo Egger. The college basketball season is heating up, and there's no better place to watch every game than Long Neck Sports Grill. There are 4K TVs all over the place at each Long Neck's location, and at Long Neck's, the sound is on for every big game. Plus, no place has a better beer selection. And I say this often, if you haven't tried Long Neck's Wings, what are you waiting for? No matter who your team is, you'll be able to watch them at Long Neck's. Wilder, Hebron, and Richwood. Long Neck Sports Grill. This college basketball season, stay late, come often. Get the Bengals and Saints. Coverage begins Sunday morning at 9 on ESPN 1530, the official home of the Bengals. All right, there you go. How you doing? Five after three. This is ESPN 1530. Good afternoon. My name's Mo Egger. Thank you for listening. Hopefully, you are enjoying your Wednesday afternoon. I know I am. Uh, We are loaded today. Uh, Looking forward to getting into the nitty-gritty of the Bengals offense with uh, our guy Kyle Kasky, former Bengals running backs coach. That coming up in uh, two hours. You'll hear Joe Burrow, Joe Burrow talking about Zach Taylor and play calling. Everybody's favorite topic. And uh, Terrence Copper, a former wide receiver for, among other NFL teams, the uh, New Orleans Saints. He is going to talk about Sunday's tilt between the Bengals and the Saints. That coming up at uh, 533, plus our weekly ortho injury look at uh, 430. We also have the voice of the Columbus Blue Jackets. He's going to join us in an hour. And uh, the head coach of the Cyclones, big hockey Wednesday for us. Head coach of the Cyclones, Jason Payne, coming up in uh, just about 30 minutes. But it's uh, it's Wednesday. And it's football season, so you know what that means, right? It means nothing can happen until we have for you yet another Zach Taylor press conference. NFL head coaches, the most important people in the world. That's why they have three press conferences per week. Zach Taylor had one today. Here is the head coach of the Cincinnati Bengals with the local professional football media. Time for the Zach Taylor Press Conference. Brought to you in part by your local client master dealers, Brandstetter's Kangaroo, and by Infinity of Northern Kentucky. On ESPN 1530, the official home of the Bengals. What sticks out to you about the Saints defense? Really good. Um, you know, I feel like I've played them a lot over, over, I don't know, last, going back to 2018. 27, yeah, 2017 even. And, um, you know, DA has been there the whole time. And so um, really this staff for the most part, I think the meat of their staff has been there and, and uh, they got a lot of similar players that have been there over the years and um, really physical defense. They're, they're really in tune with each other. They're very sound. They're not overly complicated. Um, you know, they just, they, they play it really well and, and they know all the nuances of the defense and they know how to stress the offense. And it's just a really impressive group. Um, you know, I think Cameron Jordan's one of the premier DNs. He's always been. He doesn't look like he's he's missed a step, um, unfortunately. And uh, and you know, they just got a lot of playmakers really at all three levels. Um, they've done a really good job drafting, and acquiring players, and and they're really well coached. So they're just you know, you look in the fourth quarter of all these games, they're they're low scoring. You know, you look at a lot of games, teams haven't scored a lot of points going in the fourth quarter. So you got to earn every inch with these guys. What's allowed Andy to stay in the league as long as he has? Smart, uh, you know, really smart. Obviously talented, knows where to go with the ball, can make all the throws. Um, really calm, you know, to get to protection adjustments, gets the right run checks. Uh, just a very aware quarterback in this league. Everybody likes being around him. Um, he's still talented enough to, to do it at a high level, obviously. So um, there's there's a lot of reasons why he's able to continue to do it. Safe to assume you're just going to play him every year? 
now that he's gone. Apparently. So <laughs> Apparently. Yeah, I know. I know. Is there any carryover from what you did against Lamar, maybe the design run and what they do with Taysom Hill, or is it completely different with how they use him in the run game? Um, every, every team's a little bit different schematically with how they utilize things, but it doesn't hurt to, to play an athletic quarterback and then have another one the next week. On the road in the NFL, is it pretty much standard operating procedure at this point that you always go on a silent count, or is it still just dependent on certain stadiums? <clears throat> dependent on certain stadiums. You know, sometimes under center you can get away with um, being vocal. Sometimes you got to work a under center silent cadence. Um, in the gun, typically you always assume going in that you got to use, you know, the silent. And and then if over the course of the game you feel like it changes, then it changes. But um, you know, that can be – usually indoor stadiums are pretty loud. You know, there's, there's not a lot of leeway there. Sorry. Uh, how do you think uh, Joe is doing in terms of taking checkdowns? Is that something you go Great. over with him? Joe Burrow. Yeah. Joe Burrow. Yeah, you rarely have to he, – he's, he's one of the best I've ever been around and finding them very quickly. Um, <clears throat> kind of understanding where a soft spot in the defense is going to be. And, and instead of maybe exhausting a progression to get to him, which he does, um, he gets to him sooner, knowing that that's going to be the advantage for the back to be able to, or tight end. Um, you think about one of Hayden's against Miami, the first drive of the game, when not not the third down conversion Hayden had, but the the first down completion where they then got a, a, a defensive penalty for a late hit on Hayden. I mean, he he went to Hayden quick as a check down, which is probably why that play was so effective, because he recognized the coverage, recognized the primary read wasn't going to be there. Um, very quick to get to Hayden and allowed us really to have a, a you know, really efficient gain on first down. Jonas sounded like he was going to give it a pretty good try to play. We're, what's the plan for him for the week, and what do you what do you think his prognosis is? Yeah, limit him early in the week. Um, just take him day to day, and we'll see where it's at. It's it's encouraging that he wants to do it, and and ultimately, um, we'll just have to see how he feels as the week progresses. But uh, he's a tough guy. He's He's uh, you appreciate that about him. He's gonna give it everything he can to try to make it through the week and see where he's at on Sunday. But it's too early in the week to predict how it's gonna play out. Would you be comfortable kind of keeping him on the shelf the first couple days this week and then mm -hmm. playing him anyways? I would. Same thing with T. Go ahead. Same thing with T. Yeah, I'm at him early with the ankle sprain. Uh, how impressive was it that Jonah was hurt and played his best game of the season on Sunday? I mean, that's that's Jonah. He's just he kind of quietly does his job and has been dependable for us. And, um, you know, it's it's uh, we really appreciate what he's done and, and the level he's played for us this year. And, um, you know, he's just done a really nice job manning that left tackle position for us. Who would slide in for him if he isn't able to? Um, we'll, we'll make that decision as, as it goes. How happy, how happy have you been with protection the last couple of weeks? We asked you a lot about the first couple of weeks. Yeah. Uh, really good. You know, it's uh, it, really Burrow had probably three hits, two of them were the sacks, and then one hit early in the game on third down. Um, you know, and, and again, it's not always the line. One of the sacks was just a communication issue we had, but um, I thought the line has really – I've been saying this even even on some of our least productive games. It's, it all goes hand in hand. Um, I've seen them every single week <laughs> continue to improve, and I think the last uh, three weeks in particular, they've they've really – Given us everything we need to be able to be effective throwing the ball. How unique? What's that? How unique is Taysom Hill? <clears throat> I guess something on my throat. Uh, very unique. Very unique. Explosive playmaker. Um, just remember from his time in college, him doing all that stuff as well. 
you know, it's, it's, yeah, you got a guy back there um, that's an explosive runner, but again, he's got the background throwing the ball too. And so that's, you got to treat that different than, than you would just a traditional wildcat because he, he can play quarterback. And, and uh, then he can go in the game and play tight end, and they can utilize him a lot of different ways that way. He can, he can block in the run game, he can run routes, he can throw. So, you know, those, those Swiss Army knives are very difficult to defend, and, and that's, you know, that's a nice weapon for them to have. What kind of percentages um, are there in the different spots for Hill? I mean, they list him in the two deep as a tight end. Has he got more snaps at tight end than he does at Wildcat or wherever else they use him? Um, I, I couldn't give you the percentages off the top of my head, but you just got to be prepared when he's on the field. Um, you know, Lou and those guys will do a good job putting a plan together. Who was the, the mole in New Orleans that was vouching for the character of Von Bell and Trey Hendricks and Eli Apple for you guys to turn out to all three of them start playing so well here? We go, we do deep dives. Um, <laughs> the mole for Eli was Lou Anarimo. Um, having worked with him, you know, it's, uh, I knew one of Trey's college coaches, you know, we grew up together at, F at FAU, um, Von Bell's reputation, I think, you know, is just, it dates back all the way to whatever you want to research about Von Bell. So, um, you know, it was, it was, we got Von first, obviously. So then you get a chance to talk to Von about Trey and Eli and, and obviously he wanted to play with those guys again. So, um, that usually is how it works is, is we try to utilize the relationships we have. And then if you got players that have played with those guys, players you trust their opinion and their approach, and they know what it takes to win championships. And obviously, uh, Vaughn was quick to say that Trey and Eli being in the building can help us win championships. And so that, that went a long way for us. Yeah, how much, when you, when you talk about, a lot about the defense, the, mis, the misfit toys, right, that all seem to be motivated by being cast off. This is kind of a prime example. How much did their experiences there having success Yeah. And also, kind of having motivation be a driver for you guys rebuilding the defense. Yeah, it's again. I think it goes a long way. I feel like I played New Orleans so many times, and you had so much respect for their defense, how they were coached, the types of players they had in the unit, how they played. Um, and so then, when your when your research verifies that they're about what we want to be about, I played them so many times. They played four four championships. And so they know walking in the door. And, and, you know, two of those guys have the Ohio State background that I, I really think has gone a long ways with us of those guys understanding some of the intangible stuff that's important. Um, so it's just, it's, it's really for us been a home run for all three of those guys. With Vaughn, with Vaughn, did you go into a free agency in 2020 looking for a safety like Vaughn, or was it kind of an opportunity that presented itself then? I think it's an opportunity that presented itself, to be quite honest with you. It, it didn't happen the first day. If I remember correctly, right out the gate, it's just when Von Bell's uh, available and out there, it's something you got to talk long and hard about because we'd always had a high opinion of him. Um, I remember writing a scouting report for him, you know, before we played New Orleans three times one year, preseason, regular season, NFC Championship game, all in New Orleans. So I'd give the presentation on the DBs, and I remember talking a lot about Vaughn and how impactful he was as a player. And so, again, going back to my assistant receiver days, uh, and then here I am as a head coach, and you get an opportunity to add a guy, and you feel like you've watched hours and hours of tape of him. And um, again, he, I, I had very high opinions of Vaughn, and, and they've worked out well for us. Yeah, the other with Brent uh, was your Lamar Jackson. Uh, who is your Tyson Hill? Yeah, we'll, we'll get to that as the practice goes. But, um, you know, that was good. That was a good way to get Cam back involved in practice and watch him move around a little bit when you hadn't gotten to see him do that. Now you want to start working Cam, getting actual reps over there, not, not as a starter. Uh, but start to in integrate him into the defense a little bit. So, um, again, we'll 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 play through the week and see how that unfolds.
Well, it just, I, I've got a lot of respect for the guys that we have um, that work with us on the offense side of the ball. They're all here for a reason. Um, they're all just, I, I think, insanely intelligent, much smarter than I am. And so, you know, why not use that resource as best I can, uh, whether we're game planning over the course of the week, whether we're taking suggestions during the game or between series. Um, you know, Brian and I, uh, we work side by side every hour of every single day. And so it's just, you know, it's not even long conversations, it's just quick things to, to get your brain focused on what you need to focus on. And, and uh, again, it's just, it's always been a great process and it's really served us well. And that's just how we utilize it on that side of the ball. I, I asked Joe about it. He said everyone takes ownership mm-hmm. that way. There's yep. no blame game or anything like that. Do you think that's one of the, the benefits potentially? Well, that's not what we're about. You know, we're, we're, we, we, we want to put our egos aside. We don't want to ever shift blame. We're all responsible for the wins and the losses and the good things and the bad things. And, I think that's what's special about this coaching staff is there's not um, this side of the ball played better in this game than this other side. And, you know, if you guys done your part, we would have won. It's, there's none of that. It's just we're all in this thing together, and I think that's what's important to have, to have a championship caliber team. You know, I know uh, earlier Joe Burrow said from an identity standpoint, the offense is starting to find its strides. Uh, how have you seen that, and what is sort of the identity if you know for the offense staff if it's sort of not there already? I, it, we're just doing what it takes to, to – Try to allow ourselves an opportunity to score points in every game, and and that can that can shift over the course of a game. That can shift from week to week. Every defense poses its issues at the same time. You want to be attacking and and make sure that teams are concerned about some of the things that you're going to do that are a core part of what we're about. So every week we go in with a plan that that um, the plan is to score 60 points and score in every possession and and get our defense a healthy lead and and um, you know sometimes it works out, sometimes it doesn't. But, but again, that's, we're going to be an attacking offense and um, continue to do what we need to do. We feel like to move, move the ball and score some points. What's going to be the point of emphasis when you're talking to the throughout the week? The point of emphasis? Is there going to be anything that maybe you emphasize throughout the week more than anything else that you're going to Going on the road and being focused, you know, and, and find a way to get a road win off of a, um, you know, a, a divisional game last week that's tough, and then great teams can rebound and go on the road again and find a way to win. One thing that Sam mentioned that would be a focus this week would be finishing. And obviously the three losses have come on the last play of the game. Is there something to that, that good teams develop a way or a method to finish football games? Yeah, it, it can. that can show up differently. That, that can show up against Miami when we created that turnover late. Um, people may not look at that as finishing because it didn't happen on the last drive of the game per se, but it did allow us to go score a touchdown to finish the game and make it a two-score game to where the game was essentially over going into the last drive. So there can be plays that show up before the final finish that allow you to finish, if that makes sense. And and that's – those are – you know, we've we've made this reference before with our team in preseason games of when that moment is, maybe in the third quarter where – You've got a chance to to essentially close a team out, make a big play, get a two score lead to where now you've you can play ball in the fourth quarter the way you want to play. Um, so it doesn't always come down to the last drive. There, there's moments 
uh, that maybe don't get written about or they're the team feels that, that really happen that can shift the game, you know, in the, the late third quarter, early fourth quarter. All right, there you go. Zach Taylor chatting with the uh, local professional football media earlier today. Bengals and Saints Sunday at 1, the game live on ESPN 1530. Uh, Bengals game plan comes your way as soon as we're done at 6 o'clock. Dan Horton, Dave Lapham, two big hours, wall-to-wall Bengals right here on ESPN 1530 as well. We have a lot to get to between now and 6. Entire show preview on my Twitter feed, at Mo Egger, it is a service of TicketJungle.com. Uh, this is, I've got to think of the Bengals' nine road games, the most popular road trip, New Orleans. Hey, it's Mo Egger. The college basketball season is heating up, and there's no better place to watch every game than Long Neck Sports Grill. There are 4K TVs all over the place at each Long Neck's location, and at Long Neck's, the sound is on for every big game. Plus, no place has a better beer selection And I say this often, if you haven't tried Long Neck's Wings, what are you waiting for? No matter who your team is, you'll be able to watch them at Long Neck's. Wilder, Hebron, and Richwood. Long Neck's Sports Grill. This college basketball season, stay late. Come often. With Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, We've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandslots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. I wish to God I was going. It's my favorite American city. Uh, If you don't yet have tickets for the game... Go to TicketJungle.com. They've got home tickets. They've got road tickets. And if you use promo code 1530 at checkout, you will get a discount at uh, TicketJungle.com. We have a lot of Bengals-related stuff to get to today. Kyle Kasky, former running backs coach, will do a deep dive into the offense coming up at 5.05. Richard Skinner as well. Also chat about the Saints with former New Orleans wideout uh, Terrence Copper. That coming up at uh, 5.35. It's uh, 22 after 3 o'clock. This is ESPN 1530 Cincinnati Sports Station. 26 after. Oh, sorry. Dave sorry, Dan. For Bengals game fault. plan tonight, starting at 6 on the official home of the Bengals, Cincinnati's ESPN 1530. Should not interrupt the voice of the Bengals, Dan Hort. 26 after 3. This is ESPN 1530. I'm Mo Egger. A couple of good things from yesterday's show. Paul Daner Jr. from The Athletic. His normal Tuesday segment, best hour of the week. Uh, we went through a lot of different Bengals offensive issues, a lot of different things uh, coming out of the Baltimore game, looking ahead to Sunday as well. We talked about Von Bell extensively, and it was a good thing because I don't think we talk about him nearly enough, and you heard Zach Taylor answer a question about him in his uh, weekly press conference. Also, the voice of FC Cincinnati, Tom Galater, was on the show yesterday. Uh, obviously, he is getting set to call the first-ever MLS Cup playoff match for the Orange and Blue against uh, the New York Red Bulls, the game live on ESPN 1530. Tommy G joined us yesterday to talk about the season and Sunday's match. Both of those conversations and so much more can be found on the iHeartRadio app. Could also get it on the podcast page of ESPN1530.com. Also on my web website at ESPN1530.com as well. Podcasts of this show are a service of Long Neck Sports Grill, home of the roundtable show with Lance McAllister and Rocky Boyman, and a terrific place to post up on a college football Saturday or a National Football League Sunday. Uh, Jonah Williams indicated today that uh, the injury he suffered on Sunday night wasn't an MCL sprain as much as it was a dislocated kneecap, which sounds painful as hell. He is uh, not going to go today. 
Uh, we'll see how this progresses throughout the course of the week. But remarkable that he played and came back into the game against Baltimore after suffering that injury, and he played pretty well. Um, this gets to something I talked about with Tony Pike just before we went on the air on our show, and that's winning while you're healthy. Now, the Bengals haven't been able to necessarily avoid injuries. A DJ Reader is not healthy. Uh, he's not playing. Uh, Drew Sample is not healthy. He's not playing. T. Higgins on Sunday night was limited to basically a quarter because of an ankle issue. Uh, these are the sort of things that unfortunately do happen over the course of a season. But, man, I tell you what, health was such a major reason why, and I've, I know I've brought this up before, uh, prior to the last regular season game when they went to Cleveland and played the Browns, and there were those of us saying, like, don't even let Joe Burrow get on the plane. Keep, keep like, the 12 most important players home. Hire some dudes off the street to play against the Browns if you have to. And the pushback I got to that was met with this. Health, when you're healthy, is your greatest asset. For the Bengals at the end of the year last season, health was their greatest asset. In the postseason, it was at least one of their biggest assets. You've got to win games in this league while your main guys are healthy. And the thing that bothers me most about where they are after five games, for all of the talk of play calling and Joe Burrow and the offense and getting the running game going and recently the improvement of the offensive line, the thing that bothers me most about being two and three is I just assume eventually injury attrition is going to take its toll, which is going to make it harder for this team to win games, which means I can't help but wonder how much are we going to look back on that stretch of time when they were reasonably healthy and couldn't win enough games. More on that coming up here in a bit. 513-749-1530 is our phone number. Uh, in about 15 minutes, if the Bengals, Bengals' biggest problem is their biggest problem, I don't think they have big problems. I will make that make sense coming up at uh, 345. But first, training camp is underway for the Cincinnati Cyclones. We'll chat with their head coach next on ESPN 1530 Cincinnati Sports Station. They'll be getting busy in the Big Easy. Touchdown! Nice! Nice! Bengals! Get ready for a super slammer in the Superdome. Bam! 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 Joe Burrow and his two and three Bengals line up against a two and three six. Yeah. Both feet down. Touchdown. Will the orange and black get back to their winning ways? Woo! Paint your face and get the goal from dangerous Dan Hoard and Dave Lapa. Coverage begins Sunday morning at 9 on ESPN 1530, the official home of the Bengals. 25 away from 4 o'clock. This is ESPN 1530. I'm Mo We'll do sports headlines here in uh, just a second. We are inching closer to the beginning of the Cincinnati Cyclone season, which will start here in uh, just a couple of weeks. They will play their first home game as part of first face-off against Iowa on Halloween weekend. Uh, that'll be uh, Saturday, October the 29th. Puck's going to drop at uh, 730. Clones going through uh, training camp right now, the second training camp with Jason Payne as the franchise's head coach. And uh, in the middle of all that, nice enough to uh, spend a few minutes with us this afternoon. Coach, it's good to have you. Good afternoon. How are you? I'm great, Mo. Thanks for having me on. I appreciate you coming on. Walk me through, aside from having to take some time to talk with me, what is the typical? What is a typical day of training camp like? Well, it's been a, kind of a hectic month starting alone with us being in Buffalo the whole time, uh, going to our, I guess, with our affiliates and then down to Rochester and then hitting the ground running here. 
you know, the boys show up at the rink around eight and we get, have a meeting around nine Then we hit the ice for 10. And uh, I mean, the meetings are pretty much video. We go over our systems, what our identity is, what we're hoping to accomplish this year. And we get on the ice and each day we attack a, a different system. And I uh, just want to get the guys on board, get the base down so that we can keep uh, developing and getting better each day as the camp goes on. A, a huge part of your job, especially now, is you get kids who are getting their first taste of professional hockey, in some cases right out of college. And so walk us through what those initial steps when you're you're introducing a kid to uh, maybe their first job, but but professional hockey, their first gig getting paid to play this sport? Well, I think, you know, the key to that is you want to surround yourself first with guys who are experienced and can help that, uh, guide these young players along. Because, again, as a coach, you, you I have to worry about 30 guys where when the players are more around them, you get guys that set good role models. Now, if young kids are coming in, we have to set them up, a lot of them, you know, with social security numbers because they're from Canada, which have mm-hmm. never worked in the United States before. Then we want to put them with, you know, match them up with good, good roommates uh, and good roommates that they can live with and eat healthy. Just learn. The key is to learn to be a professional. And a lot of them are young. It's the first time ever uh, accomplishing this. So mm-hmm. getting them on a structured schedule and understanding this is pro life. It's not just go home and play video games. And we get to the rink, we do our work, we put our work in, we develop, we watch our video, we prepare. When you have your off time, the key is what you do with your off time. And uh, it's either, if it's going to work out, keep training to maintain what you have. But I like to emphasize as well, your rest and recovery is just as important as you're working out. So, uh, again, it's the overall package of just treating them uh, to, to learn to be pros, pretty much learn to be pros. And that's our job as coaches. And hopefully we can develop those guys to get to the next level. This is obviously something that you could reflect on having played. But what is the biggest adjustment for that type of player on the ice? Just the overall management, uh, management of your body, management of time. Uh, I guess you know, when you're young kids, they like to sleep in late. Hmm. We're up early. We get our work in. And by the time you're said and done, then you have all afternoon. It's what do you do with your time after that? Uh, you know, it's, it's people who love the game, who have passion for the game. They want to keep getting better. They want to develop. They'll rather go to the gym, work on little things, watch TV, watch different hockey clips watch things just to help develop their game and it's about teaching them how to do that and, and use their time wisely and it's the young kids it's that adjustment and don't get me wrong they all have their video games even their, even the older guys have their <laughs> video games and you know that's their that's their outlet and uh there's nothing wrong with that and i'd rather them be at home on, on off nights playing video game with their with the rest of their teammates uh, bonding and getting close to each other than uh running around uh, getting into trouble this is it's such a long season i mean mid-april and that's just the end of the regular season and hopefully you guys are playing for weeks on end after that what is what is the trick whether you're a veteran and you've been in the league for a couple of years or one of these sort of kids that we're talking about what is what is the trick toward getting yourself mentally and physically ready for the the grind of the next six months well it's our job as a coaching staff and it's about a management we talked about just a while ago you have to manage your body. You have to manage your time. You have to manage. And load management is the, is the word we use in, in, in many sports. It's a long schedule. We play 72 games, and we travel. We go on the bus here. We go two hours on the bus, three hours on the bus, six hours on the bus. Sometimes we play three games in three nights, four games in five nights. Sometimes we'll, we'll drive eight hours, play three games in three nights, and come back another eight hours. Uh, it, it's a lot of, it takes its toll on, on a player's body, and 
again, is about eating right and going to the gym and doing, not necessarily going to the gym to be a bodybuilder, but <laughs> you do have to go to the gym and maybe go stretch and maybe do some core, strengthen up a little fine muscle that you have in your shoulders or any, any, any part of your body that you feel that you need work to make sure you manage for this long grind, this long hold. And uh, it's, it's definitely a task at hand. And us as a coaching staff and as an organization, we, we, we don't take that lightly. We, we make sure we keep our players in, in the utmost condition possible. And for majority of them, they all want to make it to the next level. So we want to make sure that they're prepared for that opportunity when that phone rings and they call me and they say they need player A. Player A is ready to go up, not just for a call-up, but for longevity. Uh, year two, and look, I mean, you had, you had been behind the bench as an assistant, obviously a long career as a player, but, but what did you learn? What, what lessons can you take away from year one as a head coach that you could apply to year two? Year one was a great year for myself uh, in learning. I, I love to learn. I constantly want to learn, absorbing every information I can. But, again, it's just understanding your way of doing things and finding my groove. Uh, when I got the job last year, it was kind of a, a last-minute thing, and we kind of hit the ground running. And now we've got the year under our belt. We had a great run in the playoffs. Uh, you know, We went to Game 7, obviously, with Toledo, which I, I thought could have went either way, circumstances providing. But – now we've had the whole summer and I've had a, my opportunity to get more of a running start at it and prepare properly in, in, in my own mind, the way I want the structure of this team to go and the way it wants to go uh, going forward. So I'm very excited with the players that we have coming back and the new players we have as well. And everything seems to be flowing uh, smoothly right now. So let's uh, keep it rolling. What do you expect the, the strength of this year's team to be? Fast, aggressive, forechecking type of team. And, we have a lot of speed. We have a lot of guys that can skate, but guys that can really play the puck well. And guy, everybody brings an attribute. We have a lot of returning guys that, again, were thrust into positions last year as young players and were, had the ability to play a lot and develop and had success. And now they're coming in as more seasoned players. So now I have younger players who have a lot of experience, a lot more experience than other younger players to come back and now continue where they left off. I mean, we have a lot of young talent with young like Matt McLeod, uh, Lincoln Griffin, the young players like that, along with our veterans, obviously with Dejan Mingo and, and Justin Vive and Louis Caparuso. So we have, uh, we have a mix of old, a mix of young, and we even have some younger talent coming in as well too. And our goaltending situation is going to be stellar in the back end, providing uh, everything goes well with our affiliates. And everything. So I'm pretty excited what we have, and I think the fans are going to be very excited, especially with a lot of the uh, – Exciting returning players we have. I know, I know you guys have a lot of work to do, uh, but the regular season will be here soon, and obviously the home opener just a couple of weeks away. Hopefully, we can do it uh, often during the course of the season. I appreciate the time, Coach. Thanks so much. Hey, it's Mo Egger. If you're a college basketball fan, you're going to love Long Neck Sports Grill. There are three locations in Northern Kentucky, Wilder, Hebron, and Richwood. Each one of them has 4K TVs all over the place. And at Long Necks, the sound is on for every big game. Plus, no place has a better beer selection. And the menu at Long Necks is awesome, but you've got to try their wings. No matter who your team is, you'll find them at Long Necks. This college basketball season, swing by Long Neck Sports Grill. Stay late. Come often.
Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. DTW, Revoid, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. You know, no problem. More anytime. You got it. Uh, head coach, Cincinnati Cyclone season drawing closer. Training camp underway right now. They'll play their first home game on the 29th of October. Uh, first face-off against uh, the Iowa Heartlanders. That game will start at uh, 6.30 downtown. It is uh, 17 away from uh, 4 o'clock. It's Hockey Wednesday. We have the voice of the Blue Jackets. They play their first game tonight. Uh, Bob McGilligan uh, preparing for uh, both tonight's broadcast and the season will join us coming up at uh, 4.05. I, uh, I read an optimistic passage about the Bengals that I kind of agree with. I'll read it to you next on ESPN 1530, Cincinnati Sports Station. 11 away from 4. 19 days from Halloween. Which my daughter has been talking about since uh, July. Are you wearing your Halloween costume in studio? Uh, no, I don't have a Halloween costume. Here's the thing. We're, we're now, my daughter's five, five, should be five and a half in November, right? So this is like Halloween's a big deal. Like she, she like, this is in her wheelhouse. This is if, if you're of like, you know, trick, if you're trick or treating, if you're a big fan of trick or treating as a parent, this is like, you know, this is it, man. Right. Because. You know, when a kid gets to be like 10 or 11 years old, not that I'm anti-trick-or-treating at that age, but it's not the same as the innocence that comes with, you know, four, five, six, maybe seven years old. And so she's all excited about this. Now, there are people, there are kids for whom their, their parents will also dress up on Halloween. My daughter wants to be a, a witch this year, at least as of now. We're 19 days away, right? She reserves the right to change her mind. But as of now, we're being a witch. And so I asked, do I also have to get dressed up for Halloween? And she said, no, but mommy has to. So my wife has a witch costume. My daughter has a witch costume. I don't have to wear a costume. Now, things could change. Three weeks is an eternity for a five-year-old, so who knows? But as of now, I don't have to wear a costume, which is a good thing. I still want to know, in my neck of the woods, is it going to be... Can we trick or treat on Sunday because there's a Monday night football game, Bengals and Browns? I was just about to ask you that. Did you find? Did you fix that problem? No, I haven't seen. Like usually, you can go to like Cincinnati.com or something, and they'll have like a list of like in every community what the trick or treat times are. I seem to remember in years past. I could be dead wrong about this because I didn't pay attention to trick or treat times before I had a kid. But I, I, I could see. I seem to remember there being times where. Halloween was maybe on a Monday, and then so trick-or-treating would happen on Sunday. I might just be imagining that. I have no idea, because the last time Halloween was on a Monday, I don't believe I I didn't have a kid. Now I do. But there's a Monday Night Football game. The Bengals are playing. And so it'd be great if trick-or-treating could be on Sunday. We'll find out. We'll find out. Uh, I'm reading here, uh, ESPN.com, looking ahead to uh, week six. Potential week six upsets and buzz and notes around the league. And so uh, they have a series of experts that they pose a bunch of questions to. 
and the Bills and Chiefs play this weekend, and I think most of us would agree, those two teams right now, head and shoulders above and beyond everybody else in the AFC. Maybe not so much the NFL because of the Eagles, but in the AFC, it's the Chiefs, it's the Bills, and then there's everybody else. There's a large collection of teams that I think are going to try to make a case to be that third team considered. So the question posed, who's the biggest challenger to the Bills and Chiefs in the AFC? Dan Graziano of ESPN says the Bengals. And he writes, I know they just lost to the Ravens and are two and three, and the line still doesn't look good, although I thought their line played well against Baltimore, quite frankly. Uh, He says, but their losses are by three, three, and two points. They're playing good defense. An offensive line gets better the more the guys get used to one another. Joe Burrow is still the quarterback. They're still loaded on offense, and they still have the experience of last year to convince them that, A, they can finish strong, and B, they can beat the Chiefs head-to-head. Uh, he says, I'm not saying they repeat, but the premise of the question you asked, who I thought could challenge them, he says, Dan Graziano of ESPN, quote, give me the defending conference champs. And you know what? I think I agree with that. Now, again, you might not think anybody else even belongs in the conversation with Kansas City and Buffalo. And the, based on how the teams have played, everybody through five weeks I think that's a fair statement. But who is most likely to join that group? I'm still sitting on my hands when it comes to Miami. They've got to get their quarterbacks healthier. I'm still not convinced Baltimore has the skill, guys. I still think they're asking Lamar to do too much. I do not love their defense. I don't love how Joe Burrow is playing. But let's see. The defense is fine. The offensive line is improving. We'll see about T. Higgins' ankle throughout the course of the week, but their main skill guys are pretty healthy. They just need better play from their quarterback. That is a statement that if I'm making about a different quarterback, I feel shaky about the answer. When is the quarterback play going to be better? Is the quarterback play ever going to be better? But this is Joe Burrow we're talking about, and look, I know he's only in his second full season, we're not yet yet ready to put him in the pantheon of NFL greats. And you might say you stop short of putting him among the league's elite quarterbacks. But if the biggest problem with this team right now is getting better play from the QB, I'm pretty comfortable with that because I'm not betting against Joe Burrow playing better. If that's their biggest problem, their problems aren't that bad. You'll hear Jonah Williams coming up in a bit. You'll hear Joe Burrow. Joe Burrow talks about criticism of Zach Taylor coming up in uh, just about 25 minutes. But first, more hockey. Uh, Columbus Blue Jackets play tonight. A lot of excitement. A lot of optimism. Can they make the postseason? We'll find out starting tonight. We'll chat with the voice of the Jackets, Bob McGilligan, next on ESPN 1530 Cincinnati Sports Station. For a super slammer in the Superdome. Bam! 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 Joe Burrow and his two and three Bengals line up against a two and three six. Yeah! Both feet down. Touchdown! Will the orange and black get back to their winning ways? Woo! Paint your face and get the goal from dangerous Dan Hoard and Dave Lappa. Coverage begins Sunday morning at 9 on ESPN 1530, the official home of the Bengals. I, uh, I still refuse to uh, paint my face. Uh, hi, I'm Allegra. 
This is ESPN 1530. Thank you for listening. Uh, Hopefully you're having an awesome Wednesday afternoon. You'll hear Joe Burrow coming up in about uh, 15 minutes. Former Bengals running backs coach Kyle Kasky in an hour as uh, he assesses the Bengals offense through five games. I have questions. He has answers. Start to get some answers tonight for the uh, Columbus Blue Jackets who begin a highly anticipated season this evening. Uh, They're on the road against Carolina. You can hear the game next door on Fox Sports 1360, part of the Columbus Blue Jackets uh, radio network. Uh, Really exciting offseason for the team and obviously a lot of anticipation. The voice of the Blue Jackets, Bob McGilligan, always nice to uh, give us a few minutes. Uh, And even nicer when he's got a game in a few hours. It's good to have you. How are you? I'm doing well, Mo. How are you? I'm doing wonderful. Uh, when you look at how the team performed last year, despite the roster's youth and inexperience, when you look at what happened this offseason, the the move that sent shockwaves throughout the NHL in which they acquired Johnny Gaudreau, th- there's always excitement around the opener, but boy, it, it feels like even more so this go-round. Yeah, there's no doubt about it. Uh, from the time that Johnny decided to come here as a free agent this summer, it was just uh, electric. I mean, more so than before. I've been telling people, uh, the people that asked me, you know, how excited are people in Columbus? I said, well, you know, the people that I know that are casual hockey fans and normally don't talk to me unless the Blue Jackets are in the playoffs and making some noise, they started talking to me in the uh, second week of July this year. So uh, that's <laughs> how excited everybody is, right? Uh, everybody gets it. Everybody understands the, um, you know, the magnitude of getting a guy with that kind of talent who was a top free agent on the market to actually choose your city and choose your team to play for. So uh, it's been great, and now it's time to play. So, you know, Johnny's looked good during the uh, preseason, and uh, now it's time to put it into play during the regular season, and we're all looking forward to it. How how shocking was the decision that he made to come to Columbus from your vantage point? Really shocking because, you know, all the rumors were he was going to go to Philadelphia, and he's from Jersey, just, you know, he's right across the line from Philly. So a lot of the rumors were he was going to go to Philadelphia, and then when the Flyers weren't moving out the money they needed to to get under the salary cap, there was talk about him going to the New Jersey Devils, and even the New York Islanders were a part of the discussion there. But, you know, when it was all said and done, he was looking for a place that, you know, he felt comfortable with. And, you know, he's, he's getting paid a good sum of money, but there were other things involved. His wife was pregnant. They just had their first baby um, a week and a half ago or two weeks ago. Uh, he was looking for a place where he could settle down, I get a long-term contract, start to raise family, and be with a team that he felt was moving in the right direction as far as getting ready to win. So um, I was really shocked. I mean, I was there on free agent day, and and I had uh, interviewed Yarmo Kekalainen and our general manager after they signed the defenseman, Eric Branson, and everybody was done. It looked like everybody was ready to take their summer break. And, you know, they had put an offer into Johnny, but, again, like I said, everybody in the league was under the impression he was going here, here, or here, and then, um, I got home and I wasn't home very long and I got a text that said, Hey, we're in on this Johnny hockey thing for real. And so I thought, well, I better not change. I might have to go back and do another interview. So, uh, I was really excited. I, and it's a, it's a good excitement. As you know, in this business, sometimes, uh, you get surprises that are like, oh, my God, I didn't want that surprise. But uh, this is certainly not one of those. Yeah, no question about that. Obviously, you've you've had the preseason and you've had camp, but with uh, the real game starting tonight, what are you looking forward to finding out about this team? I want to see if they play better team defense than they did last year. You know, last year it was uh, an offensive season that was like no other. The team scored more goals during the season than any team in Blue Jackets history. And then – they also gave up more goals than any team in Blue Jackets history. So um, that is, you know, that's the part that they really, I don't think scoring is going to be a problem. 
Uh, they did that last year without Johnny Gaudreau. Now they've got a guy that had 115 points in the league last year. So I don't think scoring is going to be a problem. Um, the adjustments are for the defensemen, and there were young ones last year, and they're still young, but now they have another year's worth of experience. I think we had three guys on defense that had played less than 100 games in the NHL, and, you know, that's not a lot of experience, and that's a tough uh, position. Goaltending and defense are the two toughest positions to play in this league at a young age. So um, they have a year of experience underneath their belts. Uh, they've tweaked the system a little bit as a team, try to make it a little bit easier on those guys, and they're really going to be tested against a very good Carolina Hurricanes team tonight. I know they didn't qualify for the postseason last year, but we talked about the youth of the roster. It, it did feel like they drastically overachieved last season in terms of the number of points they acquired during the season. And so that, on top of the offseason moves, have lent itself to a lot of optimism. What is what is the biggest development from last year that has to carry over into this season? I think just the um, you know the way they play and the way they play night in and night out, especially – you know, I just talked about that offense. They, they have to score those goals. They, they can't back down and all of a sudden become this super defensive team and, and win two-to-one games. It's just not what they are. Um, they're going to win 5-3, five, 5-4, five, and I think that's going to be the norm, but you just got to make sure you have one more than the other guys. So uh, I like the chemistry they have so far. I like the combinations they've been able to put together. You know, a guy like Jake Borchek, he was your first-line winger last year, and now with Johnny Gaudreau coming in, he gets dropped to the second line, and you know, you can look at it like, oh, boy, he must have gotten demoted. Well, he did, but out of necessity because Johnny Gaudreau is so good. And, boy, that makes you – that gives you more of a punch. When when Johnny goes to the bench, uh, Jake's coming over the board. So um, they're stronger. They're stronger, and they just have to just have to play like that. That's all. Uh, beginning of the schedule is uh, very, very difficult, starting with a really good opponent tonight. I know you have a broadcast to prepare for. Hopefully we can do it again as the season unfolds. I appreciate the time, Bob. Thanks so much. Yeah, you're, you're right about that schedule. Carolina tonight, they're expected to go to the Stanley Cup final. Tampa for the home opener Friday. They've yeah. been in three finals in a row, and then to St. Louis. So, yeah, it's uh, they're not going to let me wade into the pool, let me tell you that much. I've got to find out a lot about this team early starting this evening. Uh, Bob, thanks so much, man. I do appreciate it. Thank you. Always enjoy being on with you down there. You can hear the game tonight uh, next door on Fox Sports 1360 starting at uh, 630 Columbus Blue Jackets. Uh, yeah, I mean, look, uh, folks I know who are diehard Jackets fans, when Johnny Gaudreau announced he's coming to Columbus, uh, sent shockwaves throughout the NHL and this insane surge of enthusiasm that I could only I could only somewhat equate it to when we found out the Reds prior to the 2020 season were actually spending money and signing established players. Uh, it was awesome to see and uh, should be a lot of fun starting tonight. Columbus, Carolina, and the home opener against Tampa Bay on uh, on Friday evening. I know Bob's really busy, so uh, spending a few minutes with us prior to uh, the opening night broadcast means a lot. 13 minutes after 4 o'clock. Uh, at Mo Egger on Twitter and 513-749-1530 are our phone numbers. Joe Burrow talked today with the local professional football media. You'll hear a part of that. You're also going to hear what he had to say about Zach Taylor's play calling on a podcast. And I'm going to read for you a quote that I wish that Joe Burrow would embody. We'll do all of that next 
on ESPN 1530 Cincinnati Sports Station. Hey, the NFL season is well underway, which means now is the perfect time to download FanDuel America's number one sports book because right now new customers get a no-sweat first bet up to $1,000. That's free bets back if your first bet doesn't win. Just sign up with promo code MO. FanDuel has every bet you could imagine from the money line to point spreads to player props, and you can combine your bets for a chance at a bigger payout with the same game parlay. Plus, with live betting options, you're going to get updated odds on games that have already started. And when you win with FanDuel, you get paid fast. Plus, the app is safe, secure, and it could not be easier to use. Sign up today with promo code MO for your no sweat first bet. That's promo code MO. And make every moment more this season with FanDuel official sports betting partner of the NFL. 21 plus and present in Indiana. First online real money wager. Only refund issued as non-withdrawable free bets that expire in 14 days. Restrictions apply. See terms at sportsbook.fanduel.com. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-9-WITH-IT. I don't know if you know this, but uh, Joe Burrow played college football at LSU, which is in the state of Louisiana. The LSU Tigers won the... Darren, are we about to slow dance here? What's going on? I, I, I feel like... I feel like I should be standing up against a wall and watching people dance. Why? Is everything okay? Are you? It was. Is today sweetest day or something? That's in October, isn't it? That's this Saturday. That's this Saturday. Uh, we don't celebrate sweetest day. Just FYI. Not. I mean, like my wife and I, we made a deal at the outset. We're not doing sweetest day. I'll do Valentine's Day, anniversary, birthday, Christmas. I'll do ro- random romantic surprises. Sweetest day is not a holiday. We refuse to participate in sweetest day. Sweetest day always sneaks up on me where I'll see it on social media on the day that it is. And it's like, yep, sorry, did nothing for you. By the way, speaking of doing nothing for people, today I gave Taryn Bland his birthday present 48 days after his birthday. Happy birthday, Taryn. Oh, thank you. Uh, you should, uh, you should, you, I, I, I had the gift on time. It's just, it was sitting in my house for seven weeks. And it was like I was out of town for my actual birthday. Well, and you know, my excuse is I'm not really here in the building on Mondays and Tuesdays and Fridays. So it's it's not my fault. It's totally my fault. But nonetheless, five o'clock we're cracking this bad boy open. It's a large bottle of booze. That is a large bottle of booze. Uh, what was I talking about? Oh yeah, Joe Burrow played at LSU. LSU won the national title at the Superdome. Joe Burrow played in that game for LSU, along with Jamar Chase. The Bengals are playing in the Superdome this weekend. It's a homecoming. Joe Burrow's not from Louisiana, right? Yeah. But it's a homecoming. The quarterback of the Cincinnati Bengals was asked about that today. More importantly, he was asked about uh, the struggles of the offense, achieving balance, and how they could get this unit going. It's always the balance that you're trying to find because, you know, when teams are playing the soft zone against us, you can spend time down the field trying to find something that may or may not be there, or you can check it down. And the key to, the, to those checkdowns is checking it down quickly as the defense is still getting into their drops so you can get the run after the catch. And, you know, in the second half, I thought, you know, we did that very well. We had three drives. One was the bad interception by me, and then two went all the way down to the goal line. So I thought we moved the ball, you know, really well in the second half. And a big part of that was getting it down to the checkdowns and, and letting our running backs make those four-yard catches into eight-yard gains, and that's going to be a big part going forward. What are the differences between being in shotgun versus under center and having to turn your back, maybe play action-wise and stuff? How is that different for you and maybe more challenging or not more challenging? Yeah, you just get a little less time to see the defense. Um, 
and then a lot of defenses play different coverages based on whether the quarterback is under center or in the gun based on tendencies. Uh, and so it's always, it's always different. You get different coverages, different footwork for me. Uh, yeah. What's the do you prefer the gun? Uh, I was going to say, do you prefer the gun? Um, I don't think it really matters to me. I think play actions are really good from under center, and you can run the ball really well from under center. But uh, you know, we'll see. We'll see what we do going forward. I think you know the gun run game was really good for us on Sunday, and you know we need we need to build on that momentum. What's the key to making the under center play action passing game more consistent and a bigger part of the offense? Well, the key is is running the ball better from under center. Uh, you know, if they're going to play soft zone. Like we did in the second half, we got to run the ball like we did. You know, we did it out of the gun, so we'll, you know we'll see what we do going forward. But you know, that's the biggest part. You got to run the ball well to get that respect from the linebackers to to suck up, and then you can hit that intermediate zone. Joe, Zach has been getting a lot of heat play calling. You, know, you guys were two and three in the last game, that late third quarter, where you had first and one side of five and, and didn't run it once. He's taking a lot of heat for that. Is there a balance between? Coach probably getting too much heat for that and, and player execution, and where do you kind of find that balance and how much onus do you take on that as well? I mean, every play is designed to to work if we execute it the right way, right? Um, and so you can talk all you want about the play calling, but at the end of the day, the players have to go out and execute the, the play the way it's supposed to be executed. And if we do that, the play is going to work. Um, and so it's always tough in those situations because if you go for it on fourth down and you get it, you look like the smartest dude in the world and you don't get it, you know, you're going to take some heat. Those are the gambles that, that we face every single week in this profession. Uh, didn't go our way this time. We've had several that have. Joe Burrow chatting with the local professional football media earlier today. More tonight on Bengals game plan from 6 to 8 live on ESPN 1530. There was also this from the uh, the podcast that Joe Burrow does with uh, Colin Cowherd of uh, Fox Sports Radio fame. His podcast company is called Volume. Uh, Joe does a weekly podcast with Colin. Uh, here is Joe being asked about the criticism of Zach Taylor's play calling. I always feel, what do I know, that play calling's a little overrated, that play efficiency, if you do the play right, you're fine. Fans just crush play calling. Zach Taylor's just getting killed. And my takeaway is, this is hard you know, they're 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 reading your audibles. Um, do you ever look at a game after and say, oh, I should have fought for this play. Oh, I can't believe we did, we did that. You always look back and evaluate everything that goes on in the game. You know, for me, I'm evaluating every single play. Oh, I could have thrown it here. If I would have done this instead of this, it might have won us the game. That's always hap- that always happens when you lose a game. Uh, everybody wants to talk about the the decision to go forward on fourth down. If we end up scoring on that play, we go up four points and it changes the entire game. So, you know, I was right. happy with that decision. Um, you, look, you look at that moment in the game and we had just started moving the ball really well. Their offense had started to roll a little bit. You you get that touchdown, completely changes the game we're talking about. Right. Is there ever a time that you have ever said to a coach, you know, I heard Peyton Manning say this about two months ago on ESPN. He said, sometimes you're just struggling to get four yards. He goes, I've I've turned to the coach and say, you know, just get points. We're, we're not blocking them. Have, have, this year, has there ever been a point where you're like, listen, just take the points? 
No, I would always, you know, whatever, whatever Zach or any of our coaches decide to do, it's our job to go out and execute. And I love being put in those do or die spots on fourth down. If you got to, you know, those are high pressure situations that I feel like I excel in. And, you know, if you, you know, those are game turning, game changing plays. And if you get that fourth down, if you get the fourth downs throughout the game, you're going to completely change the outcome of the game. And so you, you're going to have to take gambles in this league sometime. And sometimes they don't pay off and you're going to lose the game, but sometimes they do. And then you're a genius when you do it. And so it just took the outcome. Hindsight is always 2020 and you can look back and, and determine what you think he should have done in that situation. But, you know, like I said, if we get it completely different narrative. Joe Burrow earlier today with the local professional football media and then uh, part of his podcast with uh, Colin Cowherd. So the, the play calling thing for me, here's why I talk play calling with Zach Taylor. Because there have been times where the game management seems to be compromised. Go back to week one, right? They don't challenge the play at the goal line where it looked like Jamar Chase had scored. In part because Zach Taylor's getting ready to call the next play. I wrote a piece for The Athletic after the Bengals played the Colts two years ago. And it examined how the Bengals blew a 21-point lead, but also some of the things the Bengals did during their last drive, not calling timeouts, looking discombobulated, looking disarrayed. Oh, and by the way, the two plays that were called, both short of the stick, neither worked, Bengals lose. We spent months after last season ended, discussing Samaj P. Ryan on third and one, running it right at Aaron Donald. Now that's a play call. It's also situational football. Situational football, big talking point after the Bengals lost to the 49ers last year. Joe Burrow brings his team back in one of the best comebacks you'll see. They drive down the field in overtime. They take the ball out of his hands. Play calling to me is a little overstated. I don't disagree with what Colin Cowherd said. Most of us have no idea what goes into calling a play. For me, it's more just the common sense stuff, right? The common sense stuff of when to use a timeout, when to throw a challenge flag, when to not run the ball at the best player in the sport, when to not take the ball away from the guy who makes the franchise go. When to ensure that the go-to call isn't a shovel pass for Stanley Morgan. That's more 25, 30,000 foot view stuff than it is the granular details of play calling. But if the granular details of play calling were delegated to somebody else, could Zach be more efficient, more effective with a 30,000 foot view of the game, of situations? of plays. Those are fair questions. Zach Taylor needs a track record of prolonged, sustained, offensive, and game management success before this stops becoming a thing. Now, I also put a lot of it on the quarterback. I do agree with Joe Burrow. Plays are called. It's up to the team to execute them. The reality is Joe Burrow hasn't been sharp. He had a five-turnover game in game one. Total outlier, but still, they've only played five. There's a huge difference right now between two and three and three and two. 
They're at least 3-2 and two if Joe Burrow doesn't have a five-turnover game. There were throws that were missed on Sunday night. There's also a very passive feel to this offense. The opposite of passive is aggressive. When I think of aggressive quarterback play, I remember reading a quote from Phil Simms, who was the Super Bowl MVP in Super Bowl XXI, and he was talking about his coach, Bill Parcells. The video of this I cannot find, but I did find the quote. He said, quote, uh, Bill's greatest line to me ever was during the opening game in 1984. We're walking out of the locker room, and he said to me, quote, if you don't throw two interceptions today, you're not taking enough chances. If a coach said that now, they'd be struck by lightning. I just want to see Joe Burrow take a few more chances. There's a difference between risk, right? There's risk, and then there's reckless. I don't want recklessness. I think a few downfield throws to Jamar Chase and T. Higgins, even if there's two DBs running down the field with them, if it's intercepted, it's basically a punt. Those, to me, with the playmakers they have, are risks worth taking. If you're not going to open up the cover two by attacking the middle of the field, which they do not do, at least take some risks. Hey, it's Mo Egger. The college basketball season is heating up, and there's no better place to watch every game than Long Neck Sports Grill. There are 4K TVs all over the place at each Long Neck's location, and at Long Neck's, the sound is on for every big game. Plus, no place has a better beer selection. And I say this often, if you haven't tried Long Neck's Wings, what are you waiting for? No matter who your team is, you'll be able to watch them at Long Neck's. Wilder, Hebron, and Richwood. Long Neck Sports Grill. This college basketball season, stay late, come often. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. I'd like to see a little bit more aggressiveness in that regard. Aggressiveness often gets lumped into solely things like, do they go for it on fourth down? Or, or do they go for two? Part of it's just, you know what? This is how they're playing us. We trust our playmakers. They're going to go get one. I saw the Las Vegas Raiders do that the other night. Why can't we see the Cincinnati Bengals? 513-749-1530. Let's talk T. Higgins injury, Jonah Williams injury, and a quarterback injury that I think is kind of interesting. We'll do that when we come back. Uh, I'm Mo Egger. This is ESPN 1530 Cincinnati Sports Station. Really getting down here, Taryn. Sports updated. Is this something I should know? Are you and your lady friend going through a romantic spell? What's happening here? What are we doing? Man, you just reminded me of, it was sweetest day, and tomorrow we're all business with a lot of guests. So getting yeah. in and now. Okay. Well, I mean, we do have a lot of guests. We can. I mean, I, how are we going to celebrate sweetest day? Even if we had no guests, even if we had a three-hour show, no guests, how are we celebrating sweetest day? Which is, a, which is a day, it's not even a holiday, it's just a day to buy an overpriced greeting card. By the way, have you bought a greeting card recently? This is the real scam. Everybody's talking about the price of food and stuff. 
Have you have you have you bought a greeting card recently? Uh-uh. I bought two cards because uh, two separate friends got married. I had to take out a loan to buy a greeting card that I could stash some money in. I'm now just giving out like blank, you know, envelopes. Just throw the money, throw a gift card. I'm not waste. I'm not paying seven dollars for a greeting card that they're probably not going to read anyway. Most people don't even read the greeting card. That's why your 48-day-late birthday present did not come with a greeting card. I'll just write a handwritten note. Still gets the message across. Yeah. All right, well. Playing slow. Do you take requests? Yes. Are you taking slow jam requests? What would you like to hear? I don't know. I don't know. What would you be your, your number one slow jam to go to? Uh, we're in this love together by Al Jarreau. Very nice. What are we supposed to be doing now? Oh, sports headlines. A service of Kelsey Chevrolet, home of lifetime powertrain protection and guaranteed credit approval. From the, I, You could buy a car for less than it would cost to buy like four greeting cards. Uh, go to KelseyChev.com. All right, Bengals injury report. No Jonah Williams uh, dealing with a dislocated kneecap, which sounds exceptionally painful. Uh, T. Higgins obviously dealing with uh, the ankle. Lyle Collins getting a uh, veteran day. Uh, T. Higgins limited today. Bengals and Saints on Sunday. Bengals game plan tonight. Dan Horde, Dave Lapham on ESPN. 15.30 as soon as we're done. The American Athletic Conference uh, preseason men's poll, huh? men's basketball poll. Uh, the UC Bearcats picked to finish third behind Houston, who should be the preseason number one team in the country and Memphis. Uh, David Julius picked to the All-AAC second team. Ivan Pace named to the uh, watch list for the Bednarik Award, which goes to the nation's top defensive player. Brenner named to the Major League Soccer. Uh, he was named Major League Soccer's Player of the Month. Uh, baseball playoffs resumed. They're supposed to at least. Game two in Atlanta, Phillies and Braves being delayed by rain. Philly won game one yesterday. And uh, the Dodgers, a 1-0 series lead. Game two tonight. In Los Angeles as they host the Padres and uh, the Columbus Blue Jackets skate against Carolina in their season opener. That game can be heard on Fox Sports 1360. Uh, all right, let's see here. I've got with us our buddy, Dr. Nick Early, OrthoCincy. If, uh, if you need their help, the great thing about OrthoCincy, uh, you never need an appointment. They have locations all throughout the tri-state and... And they've got locations with evening and weekend hours. Uh, a whole army of doctors and specialists that can help you out no matter what your injury is, no matter what you need. Go to orthosincy.com. All right, Dr. Early, I appreciate the time. Let me start with T. Higgins because T. Higgins obviously was on the injury report all week last week with the ankle. Uh, the, the game on Sunday night, he tried to go. He couldn't go. He sits out basically the last three quarters. Zach Taylor was asked about it on Monday, and he goes, look, uh, ankle injuries are complicated. Ankle sprains are complex. From a medical standpoint, what does that mean? Well, when you're talking about an ankle sprain, there's a couple of things to consider. First is which ligaments are injured or you know, to what extent they, have they been injured as well. Um, so, for instance, there's, there's ligaments that are on the outside of the ankle, there's ligaments on the inside, there's ligaments that actually attach between the two major bones, the, the low part of the ankle. When you injure those, we call it a high ankle sprain. So to some extent, which of those ligaments you've injured can determine the severity of it, but then also how much they've been injured, so how much those ligaments have been stretched. So with an ankle sprain, you could just have a minor injury where you just kind of stretch things a little bit and it recovers very quickly, and then there can be others 
where it's a little bit more questionable. And so um, it's kind of one of those things where you're not exactly sure how much somebody's going to be able to tolerate until you try to push it. So if he's having persistent swelling, if he's still having a lot of pain, he just may not be to the point yet where he's able to really perform. And so it's a question more so of performance oftentimes than it is, you know, is this going to be something that's going to cause a long-term problem? Can a sprain really heal if a guy is trying to play with it? It can slow it down for sure if you're re-aggravating it. Um, so it kind of depends. Like I said, once again, on how severe it is, certainly if, if it's still very inflamed, the ankle's swollen, and you, let's say, even twist it again or put some stress on it that causes an increase in pain, that can kind of slow things down a little bit. And so sometimes it does take a real break to get, get over the hump. Um, this might be sort of a silly question, but we've, we've made all these advances in footwear and shoes are so expensive. And, you know, these, these guys at the professional level, men and women, they, they, they both get the most highly advanced high tech footwear. And yet there are still a ton of ankle sprains. Why? Well, that's, that's a great question. You know, it's funny with all the technology, it really focuses more on performance. The thing about it is, is you probably could prevent ankle sprains if you had really restrictive footwear on, but that would definitely affect performance and running and cutting. And so, especially if you're looking at somebody like a wide receiver, they're going to wear a pretty low profile cleat most of the time and probably don't want something very restrictive on their ankle. And so honestly, you're not really looking uh, too much at, at protecting them from injuries. And um, that's probably one of the reasons is it's just, still an issue. Dr. Nick Early is with us from OrthoCincy. Check out OrthoCincy.com. Let me ask you about Jonah Williams. The Bengals left tackle left the game on Sunday night for a while with a knee issue. The early word out of Baltimore was it was an MCL sprain. Now he came back into the game and he played and he played well. He said today though that what he was dealing with was a dislocated kneecap. That sounds incredibly painful. What should the coming days be like for him in terms of treatment? So for the most part, what you're trying to do is make sure that the knee is stable. So that's the first thing. And, and if he's able to get back in the game, um, you know, with a brace on in play, he must have pretty good stability. And with that, you also want to see, make sure he has good range of motion, good strength, things to, to try to protect his, uh, his knee as he's playing. And um, basically what you're trying to do is stabilize it, make sure that he can move and do all the things he needs to do and keep his pain level uh, tolerable. And if it's stable while he's doing that, then he should be okay. One more for you, and, and this, this involves Russell Wilson because I saw this. He suffered a partially torn lat muscle in his throwing shoulder, and so my instant reaction is he's going to have to miss some time. They gave him a platelet-rich plasma injection to help deal with discomfort and inflammation. I guess my first thing would be if you throw football, footballs for a living and you've got a, 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 an issue in your throwing shoulder involving a muscle, how, how do you keep doing that? How do you play? Walk me through that. So the lat muscle is kind of an uncommon area to have an injury. Uh, there's, a lot, there's a lot more common places you would see. But it does happen, especially in throwing athletes. Um, you know, in this situation, it doesn't seem like it was a, a full thickness or, or a full injury to the tendon or the, the muscle. And so what you're really trying to do there is get this to heal up somewhat. Um, basically, but, but yeah, but once again, it's a situation where you can't aggravate it and sometimes trying to play through it can, you know, make things difficult from a recovery standpoint. But if you're able to kind of control pain and, and um, you know, he's able to function well, then potentially he's able to play through this. Um, you know, a, a platelet-rich plasma injection, PRP, is basically one thing you can do to aid in, um, you know, helping with the symptoms and potentially help the 
the uh, muscle and tendon to heal. How how often, if he's going to get through the rest of the season, and obviously two-thirds of it is still left, how, how often might he need that injection over the course of the season? You really wouldn't do it that often, potentially. You may repeat, you know, if you do an injection, you may repeat it uh, in a few weeks. It's not something you would necessarily do like every week. Um, you know, and, and that kind of depends. And sometimes you'll even get follow-up imaging to check and see if you're seeing any evidence of healing. Um, but that's more so something to try to stimulate some healing and, you know, help with the symptoms rather than something that just masks the pain. Um, so it's not, not something you would just be getting every week. Uh, informative stuff as always. I know you've got to run, doctor. I appreciate the time this afternoon. Thanks so much. All right. Thanks a lot, Mo. You got it. That's uh, Dr. Nick Early, team physician for Turpin High School, by the way. OrthoCincy, com. They are there for you. Locations all throughout Cincinnati and Northern Kentucky and Southeast Indiana. You can find out more at OrthoCincy.com. You can make an appointment. They'll take your appointment. They'll make an appointment for you, but you don't need an appointment. And, you know, look, let's face it. Sometimes something happens. You don't have time to make an appointment. You need help now. OrthoCincy can help. Check out OrthoCincy.com. Uh, 14 minutes away from uh, 5 o'clock. 513-749-1530. By the way, I've asked a poll question, very simple one, about the Bengals on my Twitter feed, at Mo Egger. Speaking of the Bengals, uh, one of their former position coaches is, uh, we, we had Kyle Kasky on the show a couple of weeks ago, right before the Thursday night game, and we talked, I think, specifically about Joe Mixon. Joe Mixon had a, a more productive game against Baltimore. The running game showed signs of life. Can that continue? What the, What might that mean moving forward? And why Why can't the Bengals solve the cover, too? Uh, Kyle Kasky will tell us coming up at uh, 5.05. Looking forward to that. 13 away from 5 on ESPN 1530 Cincinnati Sports Station. Well, see, now see now we're talking. I, I mean, I was sort of hoping you would just have this for me tomorrow since that's the day you want to celebrate Sweetest Day on the air. Taryn, do you celebrate Sweetest Day? Uh, no. No? Anytime I get to play some, some good old R&B, um jumping at it. That's, that's, your, that's your celebration of Sweetest Day. By the way, the greeting card people are mad at me on social media. Do you, when you get a greeting card, do you read it? Yes. You do? Like, not, not, not the part that somebody, like, if they write something nice. Let me tell you something. If I have a few cocktails in me and this song comes on, I will sing it. I don't have any cocktails in me yet. Well, yeah. Five, even though you have a gigantic up. bottle of Maker's Mark in there that I got you for your birthday. But, like, if I got you a greeting card. Now, it's one thing if I get you a greeting card and I write something nice in it. You have an obligation to read that. But if I just got you a greeting card and just wrote, happy birthday, comma, mo, are you reading the 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 message are you reading the little poem or whatever that whatever that is are you re- really reading that yes no i read every i read everyone i i will tell you in all transparency if you buy me a greeting card there's a really good chance that i don't read it in fact i like to screw with people and i buy them greeting cards and i write like really weird stuff in it and then i can tell if they've read it or not and usually people do not bring up the weird stuff I've written in the greeting card. So it tells you most people don't read them. They they open it. They look to see if there's a gift card. They look to see if there's cash, if there's a check, if there's something that they can use to get uh, goods or services. And if there is, they take that and they throw the greeting card away. They pretend to read it. I've pretended to read a lot of greeting cards. My mom sent me a card for my birthday a couple of weeks ago. 
I don't think I read it. I'm not ashamed to say that. Those really aren't her thoughts anyway. It's what I should probably pay $9 for it in today's economic greeting card climate. And most people are going to, oh, I read the greeting card. No, you don't. I am getting some uh, greeting card tips. Our friend Juanita, who uh, is a loyal listener, tells me to go to the Dollar Tree to get my greeting cards. Now, a good handwritten note. Andy Furman and I were talking about this like a month and a half ago. He's a big handwritten note guy. I've decided to be a big handwritten note guy. Now, I'll read a handwritten note. Greeting card? Taryn, in 48 days, you can send me a really nice handwritten note for the 48-day late present I got you for your birthday. Hey, it's Mo Egger. The college basketball season is heating up, and there's no better place to watch every game than Long Neck Sports Grill. There are 4K TVs all over the place at each Long Neck's location, and at Long Neck's, the sound is on for every big game. Plus, no place has a better beer selection. And I say this often, if you haven't tried Long Neck's Wings, what are you waiting for? No matter who your team is, you'll be able to watch them at Long Neck's. Wilder, Hebron, and Richwood. Long Neck Sports Grill. This college basketball season, stay late, come often. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. I think 48 days will be closer to Christmas, wouldn't it? <laughs> I should just go ahead and, and bring it in now, I guess. Uh, how are we on time? Do we have time for anything here? Uh, we have two two and a half minutes left. Uh, we're really going to do some X's and O's with Kyle Kasky coming up at uh, 5.05. Real hardcore. If you're like, man, I'm tired of this grab ass you guys are playing. Talk ball. Kyle Kasky's going to talk ball in uh, just a few minutes. First, Jeff, thanks for hanging on. What's up? Well, I think that's the mock I didn't understand a word of that because you broke up. What'd you say, Jeff? I, I think the I think the mafia. Uh, hold on one. Hmm. Now is this better? Oh, you sound so much better, Jeff. I think the mafia infiltrated the greeting card business about ten years ago or so. Yeah, it so, feels like it. Uh, I, I has has a new greeting card greeting been written in the last twenty five years? At this point, aren't no, we just put, recycling the same old birthday messages? They put those ones out with all the music in them that cost $15. Oh, uh, yeah. Somebody bought me one of those ones. That I thought was pretty clever. I didn't have to read anything. It just played me a song. Exactly. Exactly. Hey, a couple of my buddies have gotten those PRP injections. One of your former advertisers used to specialize in that stuff. Yeah. Um, they both said it was the most painful thing they've ever been through in their life. That sounds rough, man. So, that sounds brutal. I don't want one of those. Kind of like dislocating your knee and still playing pro football somehow or another. <laughs> he dislocated so. his knee and came back into the game and played well. That's like, uh, we should be making a bigger deal of that instead of talking about greeting cards. If if that were you or me, we wouldn't be moving for a month, I guarantee you. Correct. Uh, but, um, no, I like, you know, Joe, I kind of like today how Joe is handling things, just trying to, you know, he admitted he threw a terrible interception. Um I'm heading down on Friday afternoon. I, I hope they get their act together on Sunday. I, I, I'm more optimistic than pessimistic. And everybody, you know, 
I just don't like Zach's answer that it's, you know, there's too many cooks in the kitchen on this play calling thing. If what he said is correct, but I like Joe's responses that I don't care what the play call is. It's us on the field who have to go out and execute that play. Yeah. And to me, Jeff, thank you. I hope you travel safe. That's the bigger issue, right? I mean, we, in certain situations, I, I can yell and scream about shovel passes and uh, double reverses and Philly specials. But for the most part, when I watch this team, the bigger issue is the execution of the offense. And now that starts with the quarterback. But I believe that will get better. If I didn't believe that would get better, I would really hesitate about investing in Joe Burrow. I believe that'll get better. It's I'm I'm still more optimistic. I'm frustrated about the way they've played and where they are. I'm optimistic about what they can be because if the play calling stays the same and the whole like collective effort, a lot of cooks in the kitchen thing doesn't bother me. There's a reason why they wear headsets. There's a reason why they sit in meetings all week long. And offense isn't a dictatorship. But I've got a guy that I genuinely believe has upper echelon of the NFL potential at QB who has, in the not-so-distant past, exhibited that potential. They're blocking better for him. The skill guys are still high-end. Yes, schematically, I would like to see them figure out ways to uh, attack the middle of the field against two high looks. You certainly would like to see them run the ball more effectively than they had prior to the Baltimore game. I'm still going to defer to Joe Burrow being great at some point this season. We'll see what Kyle Kasky has to say about that next on ESPN 1530. 1530, the official home of the Bengals. Hey, what's up? 5F for 5, ESPN 1530. I'm Mo Egger. Thanks so much for joining us. Uh, Richard Skinner in about uh, 15 minutes from Local 12. And uh, we'll talk a little New Orleans Saints with a guy who used to play for him. Terrence Copper will be on this show. Believe in Saints podcast in 30 minutes. Bengals game plan in one hour. Dan Horde. And uh, Dave Lapham, our buddy Kyle Kasky is with us. Uh, former Bengals running backs coach. Spent time with the Lions and the Jaguars. He's got the Kasky's Clicker program on YouTube. If uh, you want to be a smarter fan, you want to watch film, have it dissected with a guy who used to do it for a living and will one day again, check out uh, Kasky's Clicker on uh, YouTube. Nice enough to uh, spend a few minutes with us to break down the Bengals and the Saints because he's down there in Louisiana. What's going on? Hey, man, good talking to you. And I, yeah, I'm down here in Baton Rouge, and I, I spend so much time watching LSU and Saints film, and it's crazy having the Bengals come to town down here, or at least close to where I'm at. Because, hmm. uh, I mean, just everybody down here is a Saints fan, and it's who dat, who dat, who dat. <laughs> I look around, and I go, I go, all right, y'all just, y'all just wait till the boys in orange and black show up, and mm. y'all can start kind of having y'all's little fight between who day and who dat. Yeah, so. well, I look forward to that. Um they they ran the ball, the Bengals did Sunday, a little bit more effectively against a team that it felt like Baltimore is like, look, go ahead and run it against us. That has kind of been a common denominator this season, teams daring them to run. The difference, though, was Sunday night they did. Did they do enough that you think they can build upon? I think they did, and I think number one is if you're going to play those those two high shells, the cover, the cover two, cover quarter, quarter, half, or quarters, and, and you're and you've got you've got your 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 DBs deeper. 
you're not bringing that seventh guy in the box versus what they're doing with the 11 personnel with three wides. So you've got a chance to run the ball, but you've got to just be able to, you've got to be able to get past that first line. And I thought what they did better in the game the other night was there weren't as many loose ends on the front, just on the initial blocking there, there weren't guys running free. The, the line was getting him started. And once Joe can get started, you can see what he can do. He made a couple cuts backside that were really, really good. And once he makes those cuts, he lowered his shoulder and got some yardage. He didn't break anything, but at the same time, the line got him started. And I think that's the biggest thing of what's been different. And they were running straight up and, you know, they were running straight down the field. They were running vertical. They didn't run a whole lot of outside zone like they've been doing. Yeah, no, it was it was a step in the right direction. And, and yet, from the standpoint of consistently moving the ball and getting first downs and obviously finding the end zone, it wasn't quite what we wanted to see. What was the biggest problem as you rewatched Sunday night in your eyes? I, I just think it was more just when they got down there towards the towards the goal line, obviously, and and when you when you're on the two yard line and you got a first and two from the two, you you got to give you got to at least try to run it one time, and and they didn't, and then the trick play killed them uh, with the with the Philly special. Uh, I, I know I've been around Tyler Boyd for a long time, and and for him not to throw that ball away was a little kind of odd to me, but he should have just thrown that ball away. Because uh, it, w- it was straight zone. Now, I don't know if they had a check out of that when it comes down to it. Because a lot of times you don't want to run that if it's not man coverage. Because you're, you're running it versus man coverage because you know nobody's covering the quarterback. That nobody on the defense is, is, is set to cover the quarterback in, 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 man, in normal man coverage. That's how that play works. So when the quarterback leaks out there late, you know, nobody's covering him. So with his own coverage, he probably could have thrown away. The, the shovel pass, I think everybody's hit that enough to, to know that there was a couple bad blocks up front, but then Lyle Collins not pushing up to the second level. He could have picked off both of those DBs as big as he is and might have had a chance to get in there. Uh, other than that, I, when you look at the pass game, everybody's talking about the O-line getting better, and I think the O-line is getting better, but I think they did do some things as a coaching staff that was good for the team. And if you look at their that if if you look at the box score, it's going to say Joe Burrow threw 35 times. I'm looking at the game. He had 42 passes. He had 42 pass plays called. So if there's penalties and things like that, those get factored into those other seven plays. 24 of those 42 were dropbacks, were true dropbacks. But 18 of those 42 were either quick throws or screens or some form of movement, which I think is a big big addition to what they're doing. So he's not just dropping straight back and letting the rush chase him. He's getting the ball out of his hand quickly, because on those ten, on those ten, I'm sorry, on those eighteen quick screens, uh, quicker screen throws, he had zero sacks. He had one batted pass. On the dropbacks, he had two sacks and an interception. He was hit again. He had a batted pass. You know, he was 14 for 24 on those. And one of those things I, I'm, I keep saying is it moved the pocket a little bit. And I think they started to do that a little bit. So. Maybe you're seeing uh, some growth in the run game. You're seeing some growth in the play call and on the passing to keep him from getting hit. So there are some positives to, to pull out of this. Um, there, there's a lot there that you gave me. Let, let's talk about let's talk about something that I I think should be there given the way teams are defending them, and that's the middle of the field, right? Uh, teams yes. are going to take away the deep pass, and so yeah, you can you can hit checkdowns, you can do dump offs, you can do screens. We saw all of that. What I don't think we see enough of, especially given the fact that they do have Tyler Boyd and the fact that they do have Hayden Hurst, 
is the ability to throw 10, 12-yard passes to the middle of the field and maybe even get some yards after the catch. Uh, why is that not there to the extent it should be? I'm not sure why it's not there, but it showed up. They did it a couple times. And they hit the, the, t- the touchdown to Hurst was actually a, a crossing route that was perfect against that defense. And he threw it right over the top of the linebacker, and then he got, caught it and run, and, and he got in. And then there was another one going on the, at the opposite end zone, going, going towards the left end zone as you watch it on TV, that he dumped it down to the back. And Tyler Boyd actually came across from left to right, about 15 yards deep across the, across the middle, about the five-yard line. And he was wide open, and he just didn't hit him. But again, when, when, when he says after the game that if their teams are going to play it like that, we don't have anything deep. That's okay. Find find ways to to run right right behind the linebackers because those linebackers are going to play to a certain depth. They, they they don't they don't run out of there. They're not running just as deep as the the deepest route. They they're running to about you know twelve yards ish somewhere in that range depending on what the situation is. And if you can run those guys behind, you know, run a crosser behind like Tyler Boyd did, and those safeties are playing cover two are playing at about you know say at that point thirty yards deep because you're hopefully running chase deep on the outside, make chase a decoy for a little while. That's fine. You got other guys to throw it to. And then once you start throwing those other guys, they'll start backing off a little bit and then you throw chase at that point. So there's a lot of ways to get it done. And, uh, you know, I think dumping off, I, I hate to bring up the Steelers on this on the show, but if you go back and you, and you look at Le'Veon Bell and everybody thought Le'Veon Bell was just amazing receiving back. He was not, he was a good back. He was good. He'd catch the ball. He got yardage because Ben Roethlisberger dumped the ball off to him on those exact coverages, and he became a running back after catching the ball at five yards deep. So he caught the ball for five yards, and then he just became a running back again. And that's all he did. He didn't go run these extravagant routes. So you can do those things with Joe or Pirine or Evans or whoever you want to put out there at the backfield and, and allow them to become running backs again. And and, and that that's – I. I can just see it. I can see Le'Veon Bell just annihilating Drake Kirkpatrick in the middle of the field on a checkdown. But everybody thought, oh, he just had this huge reception. He, it was a checkdown. He just became a running back. What do you make of the discussions that are have been had about how often Joe Burrow has been and should be in the shotgun? Uh, I think I think it's it's you, you got to make your quarterback comfortable, but you also got to build your offense around whatever that is. And if he's, if he's comfortable in the shotgun, then allow it. But you, you, you got to run out of the shotgun, which I thought they did the other night. They, I thought they did a good job of running out of the shotgun the other night. And you, but you've got to continue to build upon that. You got to run your nakeds out of that. You got to run, you got to run all of your run plays out of the shotgun, which you can. And if that's what you want to do, getting under center, I mean, being a, being a running back coach for all the years and a line coach for the years I've been, I love going under center because I feel like your running back gets a, a running start. But if if your quarterback's not comfortable of doing the passes from under center, then do whatever makes your quarterback comfortable, especially when your quarterback's struggling a little bit, as, as Joe Burrow kind of is. Get him comfortable and let him let him fall into that comfort zone, and, and he'll start playing better. I watched the St. Seahawks <clears throat> excuse me, this past Sunday, and it was one of the most entertaining games of the season. New Orleans did get the win. They did give up a lot of big plays. I think it was six plays of 32 yards or longer. So what did that game reveal about what the Bengals might be able to do against them? 
Uh, I'll be honest with you, Geno Smith was dropping a couple dimes, and he threw a couple passes that were ill-advised that he just dropped in there for touchdowns. Two of his really long throws, he threw one into a, a Tampa 2 look, and he threw a dime to the guy right in between the two safeties. And then, well, I think it was his last touchdown he threw. I mean, he threw it into, like, almost quadruple coverage, and dude came up with it. But the the thing about the Saints, the Saints are having issues with man coverage. So if they do decide to go man, uh, they, they've had a lot of issues where they're if, – if you run crossing routes where you're actually crossing two guys and they pass each other, they're, they're running into each other. It's almost like it's a natural pick. Hey, it's Mo Egger. If you're a college basketball fan, you're going to love Long Neck Sports Grill. There are three locations in northern Kentucky, Wilder, Hebron, and Ridgewood. Each one of them has 4K TVs all over the place. And at Long Necks, the sound is on for every big game. Plus, no place has a better beer selection. And the menu at Long Necks is awesome, but you've got to try their wings. No matter who your team is, you'll find them at Long Necks. This college basketball season, swing by Long Neck Sports Grill. Stay late. Come often. Hey, guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun, too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere and each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. And, or th- there, was a, there was a play this last week that uh, DK Metcalf scored on where uh, Lattimore just straight fell down the corner. He just straight fell down. And they've been having those issues. And I think the other thing with the Saints defense is the edge. And and I'm not saying this is toss the ball because I know everybody in Cincinnati hates to toss play. Hmm. I'm talking about finding a way to get the ball in the running back's hands or in in a quick screen or some form of form or fashion on the edge of the defense. And they're having some issues on the perimeter right now. And they the way they play their defense, if you put a couple tight ends in a wing position on one side, you 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 got leverage. And then it's then it's just beating a DB by the running back. So. Um, you know, if you run wide zone, the, there, there may be a DB that kind of runs up and tries to set the edge. And I've seen Joe make those guys miss for years. So uh, if they can get on the edge on these guys, and I, I know that's, that's crazy, but they're, they're not – you don't really want to run in between the tackles on the Saints. They're, they're too good inside. You think about but, the Saints uh, offense – you think about the Saints offense, and a lot of us think first about Alvin Kamara – uh, did you have did 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 you have an opportunity to to work with him at all to scout him? I'm sure you scouted him. Did you get a chance to get to yeah. know him at all during the draft process in 2017? I did, and he, that was the same year Joe Mixon came out, and we had a we had a that that draft class might be the greatest class of running backs of recent history. If you go back and look it up, if anybody's bored, go on Google draft through 2017 running back NFL draft. It's crazy the the backs that came out that year, but he's. He is, a, he is a, a different guy who can do so many things. And for them to get him back, it's, it's, a, it's a shot in the arm for them um, because he came back and, not, I mean, he didn't have anything just, just flashy, but he did so many just things to, to make the defense have to adjust and, and do different things because he was on the field. Now, the biggest thing about the Saints offense right now, and I'm just going to straight up say is Andy Dalton, because, I mean, Andy Dalton's my guy, and Andy, <laughs> everybody in Cincinnati loves Andy Dalton. You can say what you want in Cincinnati. You love Andy Dalton. Don't lie. But Andy <laughs> Dalton Andy Dalton has brought a uh, – Andy has brought a, a sense of calmness to that offense, 
And then what they did last week is they went back and they decided to go back into the archives and pull out the old Taysom Hill offense. Mm-hmm. And what they're doing with Taysom Hill is they're taking Andy off the field. So Taysom Hill goes in and he is the quarterback. Well, Taysom Hill can throw. So the problem with that is most of the time when teams go wildcat, they leave their quarterback on the field and they kind of bring everybody up and play almost a cover zero look where they're saying, you're not going to run on us. Well, with Taysom Hill, he can throw the ball, so you can't do that. You have to play your normal defense. And then all of a sudden, you're 11 on 11 now. Because think about this. If you're the quarterback and you hand the ball to a running back, you're now done. You're, you're now 10 on 11. Now you got 10 guys on offense versus 11 on defense. Well, when Taysom Hill takes a snap and he decides to run the ball, it's 11 on 11 now. So you've got, you've got a blocker for all but the deep safety pretty much, and the deep safety is on Taysom Hill. And, and that's, we saw this past weekend that's not a good – not a good matchup. So that's what they, that's the reason that's working so well. And I know you mentioned Caskey's clicker I actually had a whole workup on Caskey's clicker at the end of it this week about why that the saints uh, wildcats working so well. And that's what it is, is it's 11 on 11 now. And he can throw the ball and he threw a touchdown. He threw, they threw a four vert route with a, with a shallow cross and they couldn't cover it. Uh, one more for you. You referenced the sequence down near the goal line. They run the Philly special. They also ran a shovel pass. I hate mm-hmm. the shovel pass. Am I being unreasonable in my disdain for the shovel pass? Why do NFL uh, coaches call the shovel pass? I, 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 I would say, yes, you, you're, you're okay in your disdain of it. it. It is a good play, but it has to be in the right situation. Um, if, if you're playing a team – that you can spread out a little bit more than they spread them out. When, when the, when the receiver ran over, I think it was Stanley Morgan ran over and he stopped outside the tight end. And then they motioned Joe Mixon out of the backfield. I knew right then. I even, I looked at my wife watching the game and, and it, anybody knows Kayla out there. Hmm. I mean, young caller up to ask her, I'm just telling you, I literally looked at her and said, they're running a shovel pass. And sure enough, like I knew they were, I knew they were running a shovel. If I knew they were running a shovel pass, Baltimore had to run a shovel pass. But it was, it was the fact that if they were going to run an inside run with, with Stanley Morgan helping the block, they would have stopped him inside the tight end because he would insert in there for who he's, who he's blocking. They moved him outside the tight end and then motioned Joe out. It, that's not a passing formation. And that's a, that's a shovel. You had two guys in wing positions on each side of the ball. That's a, that's a straight up shovel pass formation. I'm sure I have more questions for you. I'm sure I'll bother you soon. Thank you, as always. All right. Well, t- hey, t- tell my man Skinny I said hi, because I-, I miss that guy. That guy was always fun. I d- he is fun. I'll tell him that. We'll check out uh, Kasky's Clicker on YouTube, man. Thanks so much. All right, man. Appreciate you. All right. You got yeah. it, Kyle Kasky, a longtime NFL assistant coach, including a number of years with the Bengals. His uh, YouTube channel's fun. Uh, Kasky's Clicker. All right. Richard Skinner. We're late for him. I'm sure he'll be mad. He'll join us next. 25 after 5. This is ESPN 1530. We are a few minutes late for our friend Richard Skinner from uh, Local 12. You could read his work at Local12.com. And you could uh, follow him on Twitter at Local12Skinny. Apologies for the tardiness. What's going on? No, I listened to the last seven or eight minutes of Kyle Kasky. It was great, honestly. I mean, I, mean, I, I will tell you this. As, as, as a fan of the University of Kentucky football program, as a grad, it's really the only team I literally root for in sports is Kentucky football. Don't ask me why. Hmm. I would lobby for him to be the offensive coordinator over the current dope they have, Rich Scandarello. I, I would do it. I swear I would. Well, he wanted me to tell you hi, and now I'll tell I him. 
I'll tell him that you you want him to be the the offensive coordinator instead of the dope they have now. Yes, correct. Exactly. If I had the money as a donor to to make that happen, Mo, I would do it in a heartbeat. All right. So 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 you you called the offensive coordinator at UK a dope. Does that mean you don't think that the <laughs> offensive coordinator of the Bengals, who's basically Zach Taylor, is a dope? Um, I, I thought the calls at the goal line were certainly goofy. I mean, I wrote about it yesterday, and 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 honestly, kind of let. Brian Callahan and Zach explained their way through it. I thought Brian had a really, and he's technically the offensive coordinator, if you will. I thought Brian had a good explanation. You don't have to accept it. I don't, I don't accept it either. I mean, for me, I'm running Joe Mixon at least one time. I'm letting Joe Burrow throw more than one overhand pass at the goal line. Um, you know, uh, those are my guys down there. But his explanation was they were trying to make something that they thought was was easy, that they thought would be an easy touchdown as opposed to, as Brian said, trying to make a hard throw or a tough run. I think they were spooked by the by the Miami game where Joe ran it, you know, three times on one possession down by the goal line, couldn't get in. They had to settle for a field goal, ran it two other times late in the game, couldn't get in. And they did throw a, an overhand, believe it or not, an overhand two-yard touchdown pass to Hayden Hurst. It's the craziest thing ever I've ever seen, a quarterback throwing the ball overhand as opposed to underhand to a little used wide receiver. Uh, I thought those were goofy, but yeah, I, I, I don't think they're dopes. I don't. Um, what is the most legitimate criticism of the overall offensive operation when it comes to the coaching staff? Because I think sometimes we can go overboard when talking about play calling. None of us have sure. any idea what goes into calling a play at the same time. There's what we saw near the goal line the other night. There's some situational stuff that we've come called into question. There's the overall lack of efficiency of the offense. And and so there's there's a lot of different things thrown at Zach Taylor and thrown at Brian Callahan. Of all the things that get thrown at those guys, what is what is maybe the most fair and what is the least fair? No, that is a great question. I, I, I think the, the, the most the most the thing that I question is what are you as an offense? When when, when I cover games when you play the Kansas City Chiefs, um, you're nervous about them putting stress on you, right, as a, as, as a, as a team or as a fan base. Um, you know, back when, when Pittsburgh was really good, you were nervous about Ben pushing the ball down the field. You were worried about them more than they're worried about you. It feels like this weekly team is going to try to take away from them versus saying, we got all these weapons, bro, and we're just going to sling this thing around. We're going to run it. We're going to be effective, and you're going to have to stop us. Your defense be damned. Um, I, I think the, the part that um, probably isn't fair, and, and this is going to sound awful, and I'm probably going to get scorched for this, some of this, in my opinion, this slow start stuff is on Joe Burrow mm-hmm. a little bit. Um, and I think Joe talked about that today in an honest way where, you know, right now teams are giving him a check down, and I know everybody hates it. It's not sexy, and – Boy, why didn't you do this? I, I think Joey admitted today he needs to get to the check down faster. And if you look at the second half of that game, A, they ran the ball better out of the shotgun. I think that's a big part to start from him. I think you finally hit on something. That, you know what? You can stay in the shotgun now. If you're going to do that as opposed to tipping your hand and you're going to have effective runs out of the shotgun, great. Now that's that's point one to maybe slow down this Tampa 2 stuff. The other one is if you're trying to look and go, I can take a whole shot. I can take now. I can't. Um, I don't want to work the middle of the field. It's too easy, and then finally check. It's too late to check down. I think he just needs to make easy plays. And I know he, most quarterbacks' DNA are not that. They want to make a play, right? Mm-hmm. So I think, for me, it's not the criticism of the play call, and I hate to be critical of Joe Burrow because I think he's great, and he's going to continue to be great. But I think for some of this for him is, 
just be patient, dude. If they're going to give you check downs, Tom Brady did it in his day. He'd check you down 10 straight plays and t- go 10 for 10 for 63 yards on a touchdown drive, and you're like, why did we just play him defensively like that? And so I, I think the, there's some lessons still being learned for everybody. Um, you know, the last five drives of that game, well, I should say the last four because Joe threw an interception on one of the five, they were really good. I mean, they moved the ball down the field at will on four of the last five drives. And technically the last four, if you take Joe's interception away. So I'm hoping, thinking, I'm believing that they actually did find something in those last four drives. But some of that starts with the quarterback. If I found out today that during practice, Jonah Williams dislocated his kneecap, I would assume he's not going to play on Sunday and that it might be a while before we see him yet. He did that on Sunday, and then he came back and he played, and he played well. And so what am I supposed to think about this Sunday? Um, he was walking a whole lot better. So let me go through this whole process. So Monday we saw Joan in the locker room briefly as he gingerly walked to the training room. And, I mean, he looked off. He looked like an old man who um, had had arthritis so bad he could barely put one foot in front of the other. And understandably so, right? He hurt his knee. It was supposedly called an MCL sprain. Bad enough. So then today, um, I'm talking with a couple of people. I'm kind of waiting for Von Bell because I need to talk to Von. We're just kind of shooting the blow. And all of a sudden, I started talking about Jonah. I said, yeah, there's no way he's going to play. And I, I'm like, oh, my gosh, he's moving really well. He was walking normal. So we go over and talk to Jonah. And I just like how matter-of-factly he goes, so um, I dislocated my kneecap. It kind of slid around my, my, my leg. And I'm like, oh, no, that just sounds like the worst thing ever. Um, they kind of got it back into place. He said the best part was, he thought it was, it was a non-contact injury. He said, when that happens, usually something, you messed me up bad. So he thought it was probably an ACL, MCL, something along those lines. So the doctors checked it out. Ligaments were all fine. Um, then he talked about the dislocation. Um, I, 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 I hate to play doctor. I think he plays. I think he, him moving around, they've got a plan in place. He didn't practice today. He may not practice tomorrow. Zach was asked if he doesn't practice, you feel comfortable playing him. And he said he did as long as he's healthy enough. I, I think he gives it a go. Is there anything in football you have as much disdain for as I have for the shovel pass? Yeah, I've never, I've never, and I thought Kyle gave a good explanation on it. I mean, if you're in space and you can spread people out and maybe you're out on the field and teams are blitzing and you can get them in a quick blitz where they're dropping back and all those things, then okay, I'm good with it every once in a while. Um, and not in the format they did it. You can just run a running back up if you want, just throw it underhand to him. Georgia used to do that back in the 80s with great success with Eric Zier. I know I'm going back in time with that, mind you. Um, but, yeah, I'm, I mean, down in that situation, my lands, what what are you? I, I guess, how do you not let Joe Mixon run one time and let Joe Burrow only throw one overhand pass? Come on now, stop outthinking yourself. Again, I, I thought their explanation was a good one. You know, they thought, you know, when Stanley's in, it's usually a run. They thought they could get him some run action. Yet I thought Kyle told it pretty well that they kind of tipped their hand and it was not going to be a run action. It was it was going to probably be a shovel pass. And, um, yeah, I don't, don't please just take that one and just scratch it with red and just say we're not going to come back to it again. And I do think after hearing them talk on Monday, and they talked a lot in hindsight if we had to do this over again, we wouldn't do that. I, I think to their credit, I think they've decided they'll, they'll decide moving forward. All right, that's not something we're going back to at the goal line. Sorry. Awesome stuff as always, man. Thanks so much. You bet. Take care, Mo. It's our buddy Richard Skinner, Local 12. You can read him at local12.com and, and you can follow him on Twitter at Local12Skinny. Let's talk about the Saints with a guy who used to play for him, 
at wide receiver, Terrence Copper. Hey, it's Mo Egger. If you're a college basketball fan, you're going to love Long Neck Sports Grill. There are three locations in Northern Kentucky, Wilder, Hebron, and Richwood. Each one of them has 4K TVs all over the place. And at Long Necks, the sound is on for every big game. Plus, no place has a better beer selection. And the menu at Long Necks is awesome, but you've got to try their wings. No matter who your team is, you'll find them at Long Necks. This college basketball season, swing by Long Neck Sports Grill. Stay late. Come often. Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Well, join us when we come back. Uh, This is ESPN 1530, Cincinnati Sports Station. 20 minutes away from uh, 6 o'clock. This is ESPN 1530. We're we're playing some some Bobby Brown. Taryn, are you, like, wearing silk pajamas in there or something? And, and like, what are we going to be playing tomorrow? Is this just because it's sweetest day on Saturday? Yes. Okay. You know, know, I I do my mix show every, every weekend. Yeah. I'm gearing up for that. Is this what you're going to be playing on the beat on Friday and Saturday night? Yes, in the late night hours, yes. Okay. Are you going to like talk in like a smooth DJ's voice? Yes, I'm getting that ready now. Oh, man. Wow, just in time for Sweetest Day. Will you be reading any Sweetest Day cards on the air? Uh, No. No? Okay. By the way, how do you know if they're recycled if you never read them? If they're recycled, what do you mean? Because you said earlier, like, they're just recycled. Because, cards, all mean, right, cards. in the last 50 years, has anybody, I mean, you know, like, the stuff they were putting in greeting cards, like, 30 years ago. It's the same stuff they're putting in it now, right? I mean, there's only so many, like, really nice passages about how much you love your mom uh, that have been, you know, written, right? You could write a really, if you're a greeting card writer, what you wrote in 1980 probably holds water today. I mean, unless they passed. Now they're, no, but I mean, like the generic greeting card greeting is the same today as it was 50 years ago. Now, there's, there's different greeting cards. I mean, like if, if drugstores really wanted to consolidate, I mean, like the CVS up here, up the road, there's like two gigantic aisles of nothing but greeting cards. Now, there's your typical, like, birthday greeting card. Awesome. Mother's Day, Father's Day, you need those anniversary, sympathy, all four of those. And then there's like a whole section of like encouragement. Trust me, I've noticed. <laughs> Just send somebody a text. How about this? Call them up. Hey, you need some encouragement? Cool, here I am. Right? And then for like there's, you could buy somebody a Thanksgiving card. In your life, in your life, Thanksgiving is my second favorite holiday, Taryn. In my life, I've never given or received a happy Thanksgiving card. I don't know. I don't need one. Just bring some pie or something. You ever trucked out to your mailbox and I let's see what I got today? All right, here's a bill. Here's a circular. Oh, this is nice. What's this? Oh, it's it's a happy Thanksgiving card for my aunt. 
You know, folks are always on people about, you know, wasting paper and stuff. There's a whole bunch of greeting card categories that if they went away would be just fine. I'm right there with you. How did today's show turn into a referendum on greeting cards? By the way, I did ask on, I asked two poll questions on Twitter. I have to do the sports headlines. We have to talk to Terrence Copper. Uh, I asked, first of all, if the Bengals are going to make the postseason. And uh, on Twitter, at Mo Egger. And there's still a lot of optimism. I asked, will the Bengals make the postseason? Three options. Yes, as AFC North champs. Yes, as a wild card or no. And uh, 26.2% say yes, as AFC North champs. 50% say as a wild card. So 76.2% say the Bengals are going to make the postseason. The other question was, when someone gives you a greeting card, do you actually read the greeting? 68.4% say yes. I don't think 68.4% of people are lying. I think 50% of that 68% are lying. Uh, What are we doing now? Oh, the sports headlines. Uh, Jonah Williams dislocated his kneecap on Sunday and still played. He did not practice today. Neither did Lyle Collins. T. Higgins limited. Bengals game plan a lot more. Joe Walter among the guests uh, tonight. 6-8 to eight live on ESPN 1530. American Athletic Conference preseason basketball poll. UC picked to finish third behind Houston and Memphis. David Ajulius named to the league's second team. Ivan Pace, a finalist for the Bednarik Award. Uh, Brenner, MLS Player of the Month for September and October. The uh, the baseball playoffs, game two of this National League Division Series between the Phillies and Braves was supposed to start at uh, 4.30 today. And it was going to be on Fox, which meant locally here it was going to be on uh, Fox 19. But there's a rain delay. They have no idea when the game is going to start. And so I've been, I, I had Fox 19 on here in studio because I was going to watch the baseball game. And then, you know, you could tell, ever have like a day off work and then suddenly you have to go to work and it's no longer a day off work. Suddenly there's Trisha Mackey and uh, the other guy and you, you could just tell, not happy about being at work. Not happy about having to cobble together a newscast. They had the afternoon off, Braves Phillies don't have to work till later and now they're at work. Anyway, uh, that game might start tonight. I have no idea. Dodgers and Padres, game two of that series tonight. Columbus Blue Jackets skate, because that's what you do when you play hockey, uh, against Carolina tonight. That game can be heard on Fox Sports 1360. Terrence Copper, I remember Terrence Copper playing in college, played for ECU, had a great game against UC, longtime NFL receiver, played a few seasons for the New Orleans Saints. He is one of the hosts of the Believe in Saints podcast on the Believe Network. Uh, Start with this, the Taysom Hill show last week against Seattle. For those who maybe didn't watch it as intently as you did, describe the Taysom Hill show. Oh, my goodness. He's he's exactly what we thought he was coming into the NFL, that he was a a guy that could do multiple things. Uh, They had him at the quarterback position. He made plays there with running the ball. One thing that they did that – really is going to keep a lot of defense on their toes now, they allow him to throw the ball one time, and he threw a touchdown pass. So now defenses really can't key on him when he come in just, oh, he's going to run the ball the entire time. The fact that he threw a touchdown pass, uh, now defenses really have to prepare for that as well as stopping with the run. But he did everything from recovering a punt, a punt recovery, uh, throwing a touchdown, running touchdowns, he did everything last week. So he played his he played his butt off. Uh, how do you expect him to be used against Cincinnati? 
honestly, I think in the same exact capacity. To me, I don't think you, I don't think we switch it up. I think everything still stays the same. Uh, you give them some packages to come in on, not necessarily saying keep them at the quarterback position the entire time because I think uh, Dalton is doing a good job, but uh, you still got to bring him in on packages because he is he is that spark that the offense needs. Uh, we haven't scored that many points in the first quarter, the first half in a long time this season. So the fact that we started out early, we started out fast, got points on the board, and he is the spark. Taysom Hill is our spark. Let's let's talk about Andy Dalton. Obviously, we know him here exceptionally well. Uh, ever since taking over for for Jameis Winston, he's he's played well. They should have won that game in London. Uh, who right now, if all things are equal, gives the New Orleans Saints the best chance to win? Is it our guy Andy Dalton or is it Jameis Winston? I think right now, as we're speaking, I think it's Dalton. Uh, the reason why is because he's been playing. He has he's been he has been playing bad. Uh, he's been managing the game the way the way a backup should be. I'm not saying that there is a quarterback controversy. I'm not saying that at all. I just feel like right now at where we're at, I think he's the best guy going forward right now for this next game. Not I don't know about the, the future after this next after this game, but for this game going into this game, I think Andy Dalton is the guy. Um, this was a loaded rookie class of wide receivers, and obviously a guy in this part of the country that uh, we're paying close attention to is Chris Olave, and obviously he dealt with the concussion during the uh, Seattle game and had to come out early, but he's having a very good rookie season. Tell us what you like about him. Uh, he can do everything. Uh, he's a deep threat. He's an immediate threat. He can catch the quick game. He's a tough receiver. He can make the tough catches. Uh, while he's getting hit, and he can stretch the field for you, is, is doing something that I I knew he was going to be. A, I didn't think he was going to jump on the scene this quickly, his rookie year. Uh, but I'm excited what he's doing. Uh, it's just unfortunate he got a concussion last week. Uh, you hate to see something like that, but. You know, he, he's playing tremendously this, this year. Let's talk about the uh, the defense because the, the thing that jumped out to me watching the Seattle game were the, the number of, of big plays the Seahawks hit on. I think they had six plays of 32 yards or more, a couple of really long runs. Obviously, you know, Geno Smith is having an excellent season, so he made some really great throws against that Saints defense. And here in Cincinnati, we've been talking about it all year, uh, the Bengals aren't getting a lot of big plays. Uh, what happened defensively against Seattle? And, and if you're Cincinnati, where can you attack the Saints? on defense? One thing that we've been struggling with, uh, I think early in the season, the first couple of things we were now physical up front, but uh, we kind of corrected that here right here late in the last few games. We we corrected the physical play, but we're still giving up a lot of explosion plays. Uh, I think our secondary could do a better job of tackling uh, in the secondary, so I think if there's a place that could be exploited, it would be our secondary because we have been giving up a ton of explosion plays, and it just wasn't from last week. It, it happened in other games as well. So right now, until we can get that corrected, that is where I feel like the biggest part can exploit us. It's weird. Watching the Saints last year without Drew Brees was – Oddly, not as weird as watching the Saints this season without Sean Payton on the sideline. What has the transition from Sean to Dennis Allen been like? You know, everybody's going through their, their changes, their bumps in the road. Uh, you think about it, 
just losing Sean Payton as a head coach. Uh, two years ago, you lost Drew Brees as well. You know, so you lost you know, a Hall of Fame head coach and a Hall of Fame quarterback. This year right here, of course, going into the season, you still have high expectations because you have guys in place that can that can do the job with, with Coach Allen and uh, as offensive coordinator and with Winston coming in and playing the quarterback position. But you're still going to have your bumps in the road. It's not going to be the exact same team uh, last year or the years prior. Uh, but this team is, is very well put together. I think it's a great coaching staff they have. And I think the players they brought in, the leadership they brought in, is perfect for what we're going through now to get out of this slump, which I think we're coming out of. But you're still going to have your bumps in the road because at the end of the day, uh, there is no replacing uh, Sean Payton or Drew Brees. You know, you just got to bring somebody else in that can still get the job done. The, the Superdome has obviously provided one of the, the great home field advantages for the New Orleans Saints in recent years. I, I remember going to a game there, and, and you actually scored a touchdown in this game. Bengals go there in 2006. Cincinnati won the game. Mm-hmm. It's the first time I was ever there. Uh, it was the year of the reopening, 68,000-plus. It's it's one of the loudest venues I've ever been in, and, and I remember hearing Bengals players talk about the noise and the environment and what they had to do to get through it as somebody who has been on the field and played in that environment both as a New Orleans Saint and as a player on another team. To describe what that atmosphere is like. It's a different atmosphere. It's a, di- it's a different atmosphere because of the fans, and when I say because of the fans, of course, you know, they're screaming and yelling. But the fans doesn't treat New Orleans like a football team. The fans treat treat New Orleans Saints as family. That's how the players are viewed, the organization is viewed. They're treated like family now. There's not like, oh, this is just our, our home football team. Uh, everybody treats everybody like family. It's hard to describe unless you're just there. I can't describe it. You just got to be there in a the moment. You have to be in the in the uh, in the gym. You just have to be there, uh, and it's hard to describe how the people of New Orleans gathers around that football team. It's a totally different vibe. I've never seen it like. You, you remember that game I'm talking about? Remember scoring that touchdown? Look, I remember scoring the touchdown. I also remember fumbling the ball. I caught a pass and fumbled my first catch of that game, and I scored a little later in that game as well. I definitely remember it. Well, I wasn't going to bring up the fumble. I was going to bring up the more pleasant memory, and I know what I'm doing here. So, hey, uh, the Believe in Saints podcast on the Believe Network. Uh, Terrence, I appreciate the time, my man. Thanks so much. Yes, sir. Thanks for having me on. All right, there you go. Terrence Copper, longtime NFL receiver. We are done. Don't forget, Sunday's game at 1 o'clock. Watching it at Bad Tom Smith Brewing. Former Bengal Joe Walter will be with me. Former Bengal Kevin Walker will be with us. By the way, the curse of Bo Jackson's been broken. Uh, We'll be there starting at 1 o'clock. Be there before 1 o'clock. Colt beer, great food, prizes. Joe Walter gave away cash on Sunday night. So be there with us this Sunday afternoon. Speaking of Joe Walter, he is uh, with Dan Horde and Dave Lapham. Bengals game plan is coming up next. We're back at it tomorrow at 3.05. Have a great evening. Thanks to Taryn Bland for producing. And uh, thanks to you for listening. This is ESPN 1530 Cincinnati Sports Station. Hey, 
it's Mo Egger. The college basketball season is heating up, and there's no better place to watch every game than Long Neck Sports Grill. There are 4K TVs all over the place at each Long Neck's location, and at Long Neck's, the sound is on for every big game. Plus, no place has a better beer selection. And I say this often, if you haven't tried Long Neck's Wings, what are you waiting for? No matter who your team is, you'll be able to watch them at Long Neck's. Wilder, Hebron, and Richwood. Long Neck Sports Grill. This college basketball season, stay late, come often.